Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Swing and a miss, and a strikeout, two in the inning for Dakota Hudson. Pace was good, threw strikes, one to one, one count, above 80% in one, one counts, and uh, executed pitches and still got beat. I know what you guys are expecting. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest with Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. You're expecting me to come on here today and crush Dakota Hudson for what happened last night. No. I'm not doing it. No? I'm not doing it. Okay. What you got? I think Dakota Hudson was mostly fine last night. He didn't. He only walked with the one batter in that game. His stuff was pretty much what you've come to expect from Dakota Hudson. Out of his 75 pitches, 50 of them were for strikes. I will give credit where it's due. I wanted Dakota Hudson to go quicker. I wanted Dakota Hudson to throw strikes. What did he do last night? His pace was fine, and he threw strikes. He got beat. He got beat. So you're not you're not going to come on today and 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 beat down Dakota because it wasn't as bad of a, a, a an outing as you as it could have been. Or, correct. Or, That's a hundred percent correct. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm just trying to make sure. Is the bar pretty low here? Or are we are we? Oh that, yeah. Okay. I'm just yeah, making yeah. sure we're on the same page because you 50 strikes, uh, nine hits, five yep. runs, yep. five earned runs, one walk, two strikeouts. But nine hits is a lot of hits. It is. And it's a lot of runs. Five is a lot of runs. It, it, it sure is. Gary <laughs> Davis. So, and he had one inning where he just did not look good. Jim Edmonds was saying on the broadcast, this is where you got to shut them down. And guess what Dakota Hudson did not do in that inning? Open the door. There was not a whole lot of shutting of anything <laughs> down in that inning. But if we're going to have the conversation, and we are today about potential six-man rotation, Jack Flaherty is making his final rehab start today down in double-A, and what does that mean for Dakota Hudson? What happened last night matters almost not at all to me for Dakota Hudson. What ha- what matters for me and why Dakota, why Dakota Hudson should and I believe will be removed from this rotation is what happened prior to last night. Right. Last night, he threw strikes. He worked at a reasonable pace. He didn't walk dudes. Last night was mostly fine. If that's what he looked like for the last 10 starts, honestly, maybe they do go to a six-man rotation because his stuff plays okay in that regard. Last night reminded me of some of the Miles Michaelis starts where he's just getting hit softly, and sometimes that happens. They beat the shift. You live with it. 
those other outings happened. The 13 starts prior to last night, he had two quality starts, Carrie. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you about that. It's I, not, I mean, like, we we have talked about this in the past, and, and one of the, before the trade deadline, before they got Quintana and before they got Montgomery, one of the issues they were having was just how much pressure they were putting on the bullpen. Yep. Because the starting pitching not giving you enough innings. And if Dakota is only going four and a third, three and two thirds, you know, five and a third, and not getting those quality starts that you talk about, it puts stress on the bullpen. And and I know we were talking to Danny Mac yesterday about Flaherty coming back and 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 how that how he fits into that rotation. I think Dakota Hudson is making the decision easier 100%. when you don't perform well. One of my one of the best quotes I ever heard from a coach was from Coach Brick Venturi. He I don't know if it was his quote or if he got it from someone else, but he, I heard it from him, so I give him credit for it. He says you're either coaching it or you're allowing it. And, and what that means is if you're a coach and the players are performing at a certain level, you're coaching them to do that or you're allowing them to do that because they're still going out there and still still performing at that same level. So in Dakota Hudson's situation, as, as Ali Marmo, you're either coaching him to do this or you're allowing him to do this. And at some point, as we talked about, when Flaherty gets back, he's not going to be allowed to do it anymore. And and that's just the nature of this business. You know, I think he would understand that. I think he does understand that. I have to perform better, and I have to go I have to go deeper in the game. I can't go, you know, four and a third. I can't blow up in, in one inning and allow four runs when, when, when Jim Edmonds is saying, I got to close the door. I just open it up and let everybody walk through. You know, you have to be able to take some ownership of what you're doing as a professional athlete. And if you're not doing that, the opportunities to play begin to become less and less. So here's Dakota Hudson on his performance last night. Let's see if he takes ownership here. I mean, I felt all right with it. I mean, I kept the ball on the ground for the most part. You know, Ramon put up a good swing on a good pitch. Um, but other than that, it's just a lot of felt like a lot of ill-timed uh, shift beaters. And, um, you know, ball hits a bag. Not much I can do about it. So, Kerry, how do you feel about that? Yeah, not great. <laughs> um, so, Carrie, bring people behind the curtain for a second. Kerry heard that first, kind of squinted a little bit, and then we got halfway through, and he's like, all right, I got something to say. I, because if you if you are uh, aligned in a shift, correct me if I'm wrong, aren't you as a pitcher supposed to put the ball in a location where the ball can be hit to that shift? Because you know That's ideal. analytics tell you I need to pitch here so that the ball can go here. Because the shift is here. Yeah, for example, like if you're shifting a righty to um, to pull, you're going to come inside. If you're shifting him to go the other way, you, 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 there you go. You, you, so you would not pitch the ball outside to a right-handed batter when you have a shift on to the left yeah. side of the infield, correct? Yeah. So it's about be, pitch. I, I mean, in an ideal Ideally. So it's about pitch location, which, again, belongs to who? The pitcher. Yeah. So it, it, you can say... Well, it was timely, uh, you know, unfortunate shift hits and this, that, and the third. But your job is to pitch to location so that they can hit into the shift that everybody in the in the in the stadium knows is where he wants to hit the ball. But if the ball is somewhere else, he's probably going to take it somewhere else. Tanner, where are you at on all of this? Because my my opinion on this just to state it very clearly, I thought last night Dakota Hudson was mostly fine. He got beat the same way that Miles Michaelis has at times this year, that Adam Wainwright has at times this year. If you're upset with Dakota Hudson today, I totally get it. I don't want to watch him much longer either, and I don't think that he has earned another start based on what happened last night. However, for me, what's getting him bumped from the rotation is what his last 13 starts looked like prior to last night's opportunity. 
So I would not have him be a part of a six-man rotation if I'm going to do that. It's probably the next guy that we'll talk about with Jake Woodford. But last night really didn't change sway my opinion of Dakota Hudson one way or the other. Where yeah. are you at on him? I'm with you. It didn't sway my opinion much last night. It's more about what I've seen just like you mentioned, the last 13 starts really all season long from Dakota Hudson, where it's just a level of inconsistency where I can I get that kind of basically I look at it. Can I get that kind of production from somebody else? And do I think I can get maybe even slightly better? And I think I can. And I think I can from Jake Woodford. I thought Woodford was more impressive last night than Dakota Hudson. In my opinion, if I'm going to a six man rotation, I would just switch those two guys. Either Hudson goes to the bullpen and serves the role that Woodford's in currently, or Hudson goes down to Memphis to work on some things. And I would be using Woodford as that sixth starter. I, I think he was more impressive. You saw the strikeout stuff from him last night. Dakota Hudson, it just it looked the same. I agree. Did he get killed softly? Yeah, but considering he struggled most of the season, I look at that a lot more differently than I look at Miles Michaelis, where he's been your workhorse all year long. I say, okay, that's just really rough outing. Got killed softly for to go to Hudson. I look at it and go, he struggled all year. I kind of have to weigh this one a little bit differently compared to Miles Michaelis. Let's talk a little bit about Jake Woodford. So in his last seven opportunities in the big leagues, this, this goes all the way back to June 26th. You're about what, two months into this now. He's appeared in seven games. He's thrown 14 innings. Opposing hitters are batting 180 against him. They have a zero. He has a 0.6 ERA in this stretch. So he's allowed one earned run in his last seven appearances. Jake Woodford, unlike Dakota Hudson, in my opinion, has earned more opportunities. Here's Ollie Marmel after the game last night talking about what he saw from Jake Woodford. Two versions of it, the slider and the fastball at the top, which he hasn't executed prior to tonight. His ability to beat guys up top, use the sinker in, and then uh, expand with the slider down and away on righties. That's going to give him success. He ran through that lineup uh, pretty quick. So we saw two different pitchers last night, Kerry, against the same team. Dakota Hudson, Jake Woodford. Dakota Hudson went four and two-thirds, gave up the nine hits, five earned runs, and walked one, struck out two. Meanwhile, Jake Woodford, three and a third, two hits, zero earned runs, did not walk anybody and matched him with strikeouts with two. So he threw fewer innings and matched him with strikeouts, gave up seven fewer hits in one fewer inning. And oh, by the way, he threw 75% strikes last night. You, we we talked about this yesterday, and I, I'm going to give you another nugget because I, I'm starting to listen to Ali on a different level and, and understand him. He spoke about Woodford and said he got his slider going and his and his fastball up in the zone, and that's what we've been talking about. Ali mm. clearly is telling, or their coaching staff, they have a very good coaching staff. They are coaching guys and, and, and informing them where the ball needs to be located. And if they're not playing well or performing well, it's because of the pitcher. It's not because they're not being told. It's not because they're getting oh, yeah. bad information. It's because they're being they're giving good information, but they're not they're not producing at the at the right level. So when he's talking about Woodford and saying he got a slider down. He got the fastball up in the zone where he needed to be. Those are things that he's been telling them. And when you listen to your coach, you have success. I, I can't stress this enough. The coach speak from Ali Marmo is, is, is he's giving us nuggets. He's, he's telling us about what he's telling them without coming out and telling Jamie us what he's telling this. them. He's, he's giving them the answers to the test. He is. And, and now you just have to go out there and execute. And if you get the answers to the test, you should ace it, shouldn't you? You, you should. You, you should, in theory... Have a, a be an A plus student if you if you know all of the answers. 
I don't think, and by the way, the reason we're bringing up the six-man rotation is because Ollie mentioned before the game yesterday, hey, with Jack Flaherty returning starting in September, so we're a couple of days away, um, the expectation is they're going to have to bump somebody from the rotation. That makes sense. You add somebody, you got to remove somebody, unless you go to a six-man, which they brought up before the game last night as a possibility, but they said they're not married to this idea. But with the six-man, how many starts are we saying two starts before the end of the season? So it's interesting. Essentially two to three starts per per pitcher? Yeah. If if it's a six-man rotation? The reason why they would do this, I think, is because they've got a doubleheader coming up, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. It's the 17th, right? So I guess... Two and a half weeks from now. I think that's how long they would go with it. So just keep somebody on turn for that opportunity. And then they would remove that guy from the rotation. I think we're really talking about what is the next two to three starts look like for your rotation. I don't think they're going to do it. I would be surprised if they go to a six-man rotation because I don't think Adam Wainwright wants to do a six-man rotation. (laughs) We've heard him talk about this before, and he wasn't thrilled about the notion. So I don't think they're going to end up doing this. But if they did, if you told me I got two options, you can either have Jake Woodford as a part of that rotation or Dakota Hudson as a part of that six-man, I'm going Jake Woodford. I think he's earned it. To your point on him, hearing the answers to the test, and he goes out there and executes it, for the better part of two months now, he's been executing. And at some point, you got to reward him for that. And 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 Dakota Hudson hasn't. And when, exactly. you, when you're getting those opportunities, as I said, you only get there's only a, a limited number of opportunities where you either show that you can perform at a level or you show that you cannot. You're, you're a professional athlete, and, and it's hard as hell to make it to that level. It's harder to stay at that level, especially if you're not going to perform well night in and night out. So, you know, you never want to see anybody get sent down or, or lose their job or anything. But at the end of the day, that person has control over everything that is taking place in their career. So I, I don't know what, what, where, what, this lies, what lies ahead for Dakota Hudson just because, as you said, his last few starts, it's, it's kind of been the same thing. Two quality starts in the last 13 is, is you cannot go into the playoffs or go into the, 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 the September with that expectation, knowing how much stress it could potentially put on your bullpen. Yeah, and that's where I am, too. Is I, I just don't see him as, like, your fifth or even sixth best option at this point, too. If you go to the sixth man, I would look at Jake Woodford, and Woodford's done everything that we've been talking about. He's been handed the answer to the test, and he's gone down and did it. Went to AAA. What do you do? He refined his slider, and you saw that last night. Honestly, his slider, since he's been called up, has looked really good. Yeah. And you look at Hudson, how many times they didn't say it last night. I thought at times he really slowed down again with a pace issue. It may have been something where they said, let's slow down. You're getting hit around as you're trying to work quickly, but how many times have we heard them say, yeah, Hudson's got to pick up his pace? And he does it for a start, and then he goes right back to yeah. the, his old self. And he continues to struggle with his command of the strike zone. I think they were impressed last night. I think Ali said a post game. I think you in 1-1 one, one counts, he's at like 70, 80%, something like that, and getting to strike two, which is impressive. But considering what I saw from Jake Woodford, where he just outperformed him against the same lineup, makes me say, okay, if you're going to a six-man rotation, and honestly, I hate the idea, but if you're going to a six-man rotation – Put Jake Woodford in that spot. Move Dakota Hudson to the bullpen. And honestly, we've talked about it. He can. He has some. His numbers show he has some success against right-handed pitcher or right-handed hitters. Excuse me. So why not see if you can give him a role like you have in Jordan Hicks? Can he go give me two innings, get me ground balls, and get right-handers out, which is something that the bullpen's looking for? I think you see if he can do that role before you send him down to Memphis Agreed. to work on some things. And, and then they, then you have Woodford in your rotation as well. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. We've got Gabe DeArmond of Power Mizzou coming up at 12 o'clock. Want to hear from you guys throughout the show today. Coming up next, though, let's hear from you on the mic drop feature. I want to get some listener interaction on this. Tommy Edmond is getting hot once again. 
He's starting to slug, not just against lefties, but also against right-handed pitchers now. Who do you have more faith in long-term, Dylan Carlson or Tommy Edmond? We'll answer that for you here from you as well. Coming up next, you're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Drive into deep right and one nothing Cardinals. Long home run, Tommy Edmond. Ball is blistered. So it's unfortunate that that was all the scoring that took place last night. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest for the Cardinals. However, it was nice to see Tommy Edmond once again coming through in a big spot. Alongside Super Bowl champion Kerry Davis, that's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Want to hear from you guys on this. 65780 is your comfort service text line. We've also got the mic drop feature on the 101 ESPN app. Tommy Edmond is heating up offensively once again. Now, it's not some crazy stretch from him, but we're starting to see the power come to be once again. Over the last two weeks, He's batting 270 with a slugging percentage carry of 600. That's what you like to see. And maybe more importantly, against right-handed pitchers, which have been the issue for Tommy Edmond all season long, he's batting 280 with some real power. He's got, he's got two doubles, a triple, and two home runs over the last two weeks against righties. This is something that I wasn't sure we were going to see from him the rest of the year because of all of his struggles on that side of the plate, especially when it came to the power if this is who Tommy Edmonds going to be against righties, man, suddenly you start looking at this lineup and you've got Newt who's hitting very well. You've got Donovan. You've got those two big bats in the middle of the lineup. Tyler O'Neill is starting to heat up once again. And now you get to the bottom of the lineup with the potential of that double leadoff and Tommy Edmond batting ninth. Man, th- this lineup is starting to look like that of a legitimate contender. Again, if they can get this version of Tommy Edmond consistently. I mean, if you're, we talked about it earlier. If you're doing your job consistently, you're going to get every opportunity to, to to play, and and it helps your team. I think you were asking Dylan Carlson or Tommy Edmond in the sense of who do you trust more, or who would you rather have in a in a cru- crucial or cr- clutch situation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Tommy. I, I think he's 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 at 11 home runs right now. Obviously, he's not a guy that we expect to drive the ball high, high, but it is his career high, and he's still got a month left to play. So he's seeing the ball well. He's driving the ball well. And when you're at the plate and having confidence, every time you go up there, the more you hit, the more confidence you gain. And it just it just continues to roll downhill. And Dylan is not Dylan is doing a great job as well. But if you were ask, if you were to ask me which one at this moment, I would say Tommy right now. That's where I am, too. If you ask me in the moment, I would say Tommy Evan. I trust him more. Cardinals trust him more. That's the reason Carlson hasn't been in the lineup for the last several days, and they've moved Tyler O'Neill into center field and continue to play Dickerson and left a new bar and right. But looking at it in the long term, I think I know what Tommy Evan is. I think this is the player that Tommy Evan is. He hits about 250, 260. He has a little bit more pop than I think we were all expecting, especially because he's going to surpass his home run uh, career high this year, as we can see. And he gets on base at a low clip for a guy that's a considered a leadoff type hitter. And then he's a Swiss Army knife. I still think there's more to Dylan Carlson's game. So if we're talking in the long term, I think I still trust Dylan Carlson. I think this was just one of those sophomore slump years. And in the long term, I think he will project better than what Tommy Evan is. And that's not saying Tommy Evan's a bad player. I just think there's a higher ceiling for Dylan Carlson. Meanwhile, I feel like I'm seeing what Tommy Edmond is, and I think I know what he is. I, 
I will say this, though. I do think Tommy Evan is clearly the guy that you trust more th- this season because he's shown the power. I mean, look at the game against Atlanta, I believe it was Sunday Night Baseball, when he hits the absolute shot over the bullpen in a clutch situation to come through for you. So right now, yeah, I think it is Tommy Evan. Long term, though, I think it's Dylan Carlson that I would lean towards. It's interesting because I, I think it's almost a – I think you guys have framed this correctly. It's a floor versus a ceiling argument. Like, you know exactly what you're getting with Tommy Edmond day to day, year to year. I mean, go look at his baseball reference page. It's the exact same player over the last three years since he's become an everyday player for the Cardinals. In 2020, 250 average with a 685 OPS. Last year, 260 average with a 695 OPS. This year, 255 average with a 705 OPS. He's the same guy. Like, the league changes around him. Everything is going differently now than it was. He's the same. He's the same player from now that he was two years ago. I think what you love about him, though, is a the versatility because you can play him anywhere. There was a really good piece yesterday over on the Sporting News um, about Tommy Edmonds defense and how he has become in some places the most valuable defender in all of baseball based on defensive runs saved outs above average, all of those like more advanced numbers. And one of the things that really stands out to the to the numbers portion of things is that he never makes a misplay. Like it's not just that he's making the outstanding plays that you would see from Colton Wong previously. It's also that if he ends up being late to a ball, he's not going to try to make that errant throw that ends up costing him an error. He is the most sure handed defender right now in all of baseball. And so there's, there's real value in that. So if you were asking me, who do I like more long-term I'm going to go back to the age argument of, well, one of them is 23 and the other is going on 28. I'm going to go with the 23-year-old long-term that has been tasked by the organization as being one of the faces of the franchise over the next five years. But man, if you were just telling me over the next couple of years, who would I take? I think I'm leaning towards Tommy Edmond because I know exactly what that player looks like, and he's already crazy valuable. Well, we we have to get excuse me, we have to get past the point of. 28 being old. That's not an old man. Yeah, he just put a number, very, BK. It's a very young man, That's sir. That's my age, man. That's <laughs> a young man. And, and yeah, Dylan Carlson is 23, but Tommy Edmond is, is still a young man in this game. You don't really hit your, your wall till mid-30s in baseball, I think. So I think he's still got a lot of run left in him. And as you said, defensively, you know, former Gold Glove winner, a guy that you trust up the middle to make the play, not always the flashy play. It doesn't have to be. It's the it's the play that you get to that ball that maybe another infielder couldn't, and you don't make that throw, and you keep that runner on third because if you make that errant throw, you know he's going to walk in and get a run. So it's just the the understanding of who you are at the plate, who you are in the field, and saving runs and doing your job at an elite level is is the guy that I we weren't even. I don't even think when you asked, when you posed that question, you were talking defensively because if it's sure, defensively, yeah, no. it's it's solely Tommy Edmond. I, I because you just know as you spoke about the numbers what he is up the middle. Um, but offensively, if you're just saying offensively, I still would take him because I think clutch situations, you know, knowing where he needs to be, what needs that what needs to take place, making putting the ball in the right place. I trust him a lot more. So I asked this on Twitter at BK Sports Talk is where you can follow me. Which Cardinals position player do you have more belief in long term? Tommy Edmond versus Dylan Carlson. Where do you guys, where would you guess the votes are right now? We're about 300 votes in right now. 63% towards Tommy. I was going to say about 60 to 70% towards Tommy. It's 51% towards Dylan Carlson. Wow. People still have belief in Dylan Carlson, even despite all of his struggles that he's had against right-handed pitchers. 
Now, I, I will say, over the next few days, we're going to see Dylan Carlson in the lineup quite a bit because there's a couple of lefties that are going to start against the Cardinals in that Cubs series that's coming up. And then today you have a lefty in Mike Miner that's going to be on the mound for the Reds as well. So we're going to see what, what he's got to be able to bring to the table. Uh, you'll probably see these guys one, two in the lineup against the left-handed pitchers that they're about to face. I find it interesting that it's still leaning towards the Dylan Carlson side of things here. I wonder if that is just people betting on the upside of we have been told about Dylan Carlson for three years now, four years, maybe even you could go back further than that. And the belief that eventually this is all going to come to fruition for him. But man, what are the odds that he becomes more valuable than what you're watching right now in Tommy Edmond? I understand the upside argument offensively. Like I, I get it. The, the odds are that eventually Dylan Carlson will be a better player offensively than Tommy Edmond. That, that's very likely. But is he going to be overall when you encompass the offense, the defense, everything else that comes with it, the base running that Tommy Edmond adds as well? Is he going to be more valuable than Tommy Edmond? That, that's a high bar to clear, honestly. One of the most dangerous words in sports is potential. Because that that means that the person has not done it yet, but you believe that they can. And until they actually do it on a consistent basis, you really don't know what you have. And Tommy Edmond, you've seen it. He's been pretty consistent, as you wrote <laughs> read out his numbers a minute ago. It's, it's, it's the same person year after year after year. So you know what you're going to get. And you add a gold glove in there as well. That, that's a coach's that, dream, that, right? That is a guy I know what I'm going to get when he, I pencil him into the lineup. I know he's going to go out there and take good at bats. Defensively, I know he's going to be sound. And on the other end, I got a guy that, whew, if he ever gets, if he ever figures this thing out, he's going to be special. But when is he going to figure it out? I've seen plenty of pl- plenty of people be drafted high in, in the NFL and, and, and have plenty of, you know, potential to be very good. And, and it just sometimes does not pan out. Sometimes it's the wrong situation. Sometimes the player isn't who you may have thought he was. And sometimes it does. But you never know. With Tommy Edmond, the consistency is the most important thing. And you can rely on that guy and you can depend on him. And you know that when you put him in there, he's going to do his job. And I like what you brought up, BKF. How can Carlson kind of surpass it when you look at Edmund? I, Edmund, to me, kind of a slightly below average league hitter when you look at him. I know mm-hmm. he's above league average right now, but he's probably kind of that low on base, doesn't slug. He slugs a little bit, but in his base running, his defense. And then you look at Carlson. We said this during the Juan Soto sweepstakes when we were talking about Carlson. Is he going to ever probably be like a superstar? No, he's probably always going to be just that really solid player. And if that's the case, it is probably going to be tough for him to surpass Tommy Edmond. But you mentioned like short term, you would still take Tommy Edmond like in a year or two down the road compared to Dylan Carlson. See, I would I would lean towards taking even Dylan Carlson next year. I, I truly believe that this was just one that's of those That's got to be the Cardinals' hope. It, yeah, especially if you're telling him in the locker room before a trade for Juan Soto that, yeah, you're the guy, we're keeping you. <laughs> Trust me, you're not in trade conversations right now. I, I think that they're expecting him to become this 280, 290 hitter that can have like 20-plus home run power. And, and I think that's there for Dylan Carlson. For whatever reason, Isn't he's that there just for kind Tommy of Edmund, though, too? If he's already at 11 home runs this year and the potential of him having more next year. I don't think he's a, a 270 hitter plus. Oh, I don't, I don't think he's a 270 hitter plus. Okay. I, I think he's like 250, 260. I think he's right in his range now because he's hitting 255 on the year. And then he's probably got like 15 home runs as his upside. Like well, he'd gone pretty cold for a while in terms true. of his home run power. And it just all of a sudden has clicked again all of a sudden. So, But I would still take Carlson next year. I think he's a guy that... I know potential, we don't like throwing it out there, but I do believe that Carlson, you don't bet on a kid like this in a Juan Soto trade when you could be getting one of the best potentially all-time in Major League Baseball history, and you keep this kid. I think he's a guy that this is just for whatever reason, everything broke, and switch hitters are tough to fix because you've got to fix it on both the right and left side, and I get he's hit well from the right side, but trying to fix it against right-handed pitching here at this level, 
difficult. I think he gets an offseason. I think he just recovers mentally, gets his swing back, and I think he has a really good bounce back year next year. When you look at the numbers, I mean, they're essentially the same for both players. And and the player that you would think would have more home runs does not in Tommy. Dylan Carlson. You, Tommy Edmond ha, has more home runs. His average is a little bit higher, but their OPS is essentially the same. And so when you talk about which one you would prefer, you got to go with the guy that is playing defense better, that is hitting the, they're, they're hitting the same, not the guy that you believe can do it, but the guy that is actually doing it in the moment. So And then yeah. the base running. Like, yeah, I, I do you think that, that the, as well. the base stealing really matters. Yes. And right now, Tommy Edmond, like, I, I kind of add that into extra base hits. I know you technically can't do that, but, I mean, if he's got 23 doubles on the season and also he has stolen second base 26 times, there he's essentially been on second base without anybody having to move him over right. 49 different times this year. That has real value when the second highest on your team is Nolan Arenado, who has had the same number 38 times. Right. Like that, that matters to me. Yeah. And meanwhile, you're looking at Dylan Carlson, who I've always thought could be a guy that steals some bases. He only has five on the year. Five. Which is weird. I mean, he's, he's not trying. He's not. He's not taking the attempt to to, to steal the base because he's only been caught once. Yeah. So well, I, he's not even a, attempting to to get to that next to that next base by stealing it. I'm not out on Dylan Carlson by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think when you look at him versus Tommy Edmond, it opens your eyes a little bit about what Tommy Edmond has been thus far. Even more so than putting me on the negative side of Dylan Carlson. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're getting into some questions and answers. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you've got any questions for the show, but next some NFL quick hitters, including the biggest news of the day yesterday in the NFL. We'll get to it next here on one hundred and one ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on one hundred and one ESPN. Alongside Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. So yesterday, Kerry, we talked about cut down day. Yeah, not my favorite day in the world. However, we got to talk about the guys that got released. Okay. And unfortunately for the Raiders, that included their 2021 first-round pick, Alex Leatherwood. Is it unfortunate for the Raiders? For, for him. <laughs> for, for him. him. For, for, for the Raiders, history is not, not great. Uh, so let me read you their history of draft picks in the first round oh, over the last three years. Okay. 2019, Jonathan Abram. He had his fifth-year option, declined already. Mm. 2019, pick number two, Josh Jacobs. His fifth-year option was also declined. It was. 2019, I think this guy was the number three overall pick, Cleveland Farrell. Yep. His fifth-year option, also declined. Yeah. Now we get to 2020. Damon Arnett has been arrested multiple times. He's been cut. Okay. Henry Ruggs III. We know, we know the story. story there. Yep. He's also been cut. And now 2021, Alex Leatherwood, the offensive tackle, just released from the team. Wait, that, he was drafted last year? <laughs> I missed that part. <laughs> yep. 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 That, now that that tells you everything you need to know. It's not ideal, to no, say the least. No, 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 no. It, it, How in the world were Mike Mayock and John Gruden this bad? You, they you, had six first-round picks in a three-year stretch, and none of them have panned out. And, none of them. And it seems as if none of them will be on the team yep. after this season. Uh, because they said Josh Jacobs, his option not being picked up was very interesting in the offseason when that came mm-hmm. out. He was a guy that you, you thought he was their their guy. 
And then he started in the first preseason game and played a lot. You're like, well, what the heck is going on here? That, they're trying to trade him. That, that was, that's where my mindset went. Um, yeah, you have to be ridiculously bad to have that many people that many picks, that many options, and not hit on any of them. At least one of them, right? Well, like, I mean, you would stumble into one. Typically, the, the the hope is that you go 50-50. If I can hit on 50% of my first-round picks, I'm okay. You want to be better than that, but well, you got six of them. Well, you got to get at least three or what four. What number were they picking? Well, because that's the Arrow problem. was that, number three for sure. And, and you said Leatherwood I think, was, was like nine, so if I'm that, not mistaken. there lies the problem, because yeah. if you are – consistently picking in the top 10, that means you are not doing anything well. You're, you're not drafting well, nor are you developing well. And that's probably why those gentlemen are no now on other teams. There you go. Alex Leatherwood, by the way, just announced moments ago, he is going to be headed to the Chicago Bears. The Bears. Sorry, Justin. Yeah. The Bears added nah, six not, players. It's not bad. I mean, he's, he doesn't get his guy hit. He just holds them. Uh, he does. Oh, See, that's the a good thing, thing for Fields. He, Justin then. Fields is not going to get. He's not in any danger. He's just going to. Well, not get, from Alex Leatherwood. No, <laughs> he is he, from other guys well, on that line. He's not in danger <laughs> from his guy because if Alex gets beat, he's just going to tackle him and hold him. So he makes sure, <laughs> if nothing else, he will make sure he does not hit the quarterback. And that's hey, that got to count for something, right? Leatherwood was the seventeenth <laughs> overall pick last year. All right, well, they got a little better than seventeenth overall pick. Oh, boy, that is not what you want. If how about, you are how about the this? Rams and Raiders sit at the same percent on their first round picks. Yeah. Zero. <laughs> the Rams just send theirs out. They, yeah. they trade them at, elsewhere. At least you win a Super Bowl by doing that. The 100%. Raiders are just, they got to figure some things out. All right, continuing with some NFL quick hitters. Let's go to this next one. Carrie, who is the NFL team that you have the most confidence in going into the season will win its division? So if you could place a bet on one team, forget the odds on it, Buffalo but you've Bills. got to do one team, they are absolutely going to win their division this year. Who is it? Buffalo Bills. I I, I think that's almost a no-brainer. I, and as, that's crazy to say because of, you know, obviously what the Patriots have done in that NFC, AFC East for so long. Um, but I I feel like the Buffalo Bills are a team that is is poised to make a long playoff run, have a great season. Josh Allen, potentially MVP candidate. Um, I think they. I think they're the ones. I agree with that one. I, I think Buffalo's the easy one for me to put money on. If I could only pick one, if I'm going to go different from Kerry, I think the one that I would take is probably the LA Rams. I, I, I think they. I, San Francisco. I'm not sold on Lance being the guy, especially that they brought Jimmy G back. Seattle. That's a dumpster fire. And then Arizona, as BK mentioned yesterday, they had a kid to save the marriage. So. I I can't see I can't see anybody topping the Rams. So <laughs> right. I think the Rams are going to be another one that you can put safe money on to win the West. I, I like the Bills. That would be my yeah. pick. My second pick is the Colts, and it's less about immense confidence in the Colts. I think they're it's a about pretty good team. Man, have you looked at that division? <laughs> like, okay. What is the over-under on wins, maybe even combined, between, between the, Jags the, Texans, and the Texans, the Jags, and the Titans? You told me Jacksonville's going to surpass like seven yeah, or something Yeah, because of the year. division. Ah. I think the Jags win seven games this year, and they might be the second-best team in that division. I don't think. You say that the combined wins between those three teams? Yeah. It's like 20? Oh, I... Below? <laughs> well, yeah. 14. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> How many games do you think the Texans will win alone? Four. You think five, four, four, three, 
Two. I would go four and 13 is hard. I, I think they can get to four. I think the Titans win like BK, there was a six. team that won zero games in a season. I, I understand. I, it is quite possible that the Texans are in that area. Like, I, they, What do you they, think the Titans get to this year? Seven? It depends on Derrick Henry. I think, you know, A.J. Brown is gone. You don't know what Trey, Trey, um, Burks, Traylon, Burks. Traylon Burks is going to give you. I don't know what they are now. And, and are you leaning heavily on Ryan Tannehill? So I would give them, I would say Houston wins two, two to three. Let's say three. Let's give them okay. three. Yeah, yeah, we'll be really confident. I'll, I'll give Jacksonville six. Okay. Where are we at? Nine? Yep. And I will give Tennessee eight. So that puts us at 14. Is that is that is my math right? Seventeen, I think, is where you got. Seventeen. Is yeah, that seventeen? Yeah. Yeah. I said six plus eight. Yeah. Uh, that's a six Wait, plus I eight. I thought you said nine plus, plus eight. three. Oh, okay. Well, sixteen, Wait. seventeen. How did we're, we struggle? We're, 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 I, I thought I said six plus eight. I, my math is clearly off. I. I there you go. Seventeen. Was, that, I did say six for uh, for that, Jackson. That was six a, for Jack- nine uh, plus eight. That was 17. an AFC South math performance. For yeah, us that, right that there. was terrible. <laughs> terrible, was terrible. In, the, in the words of Charles terrible. Barkley. I think I would take. I would. I think that's about right, actually. Can you give? Where are you going to find more? Somebody in that division has you, to win more than eight games. I, I think it's the Colts. And 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 so. The like Colts, Matt Ryan is just a professional NFL quarterback. But, but the Colts went out and laid an egg also last season and didn't get who, to the who playoffs. Who is their quarterback? I don't care. It matters, but it don't it matter. It matters a lot. You got two opportunities, man. You, you Somebody find a play. They somebody lost make to the a Jags. play. They lost to the Jaguars. You got to oh, make a play, man. man. You got to make a play. Somebody. And now they changed. They upgraded a quarterback. Yeah. But I, I, if you can tell they me other than... adults in the room now. If you can tell me other than Michael Pittman, who's going to catch passes... Then, then, and Jonathan Taylor out of the backfield. That might be enough in that division, though. You I think might that have, is enough in you, that division. You might need one more person or possibly two more people. Have you that seen Moe Cox? Passes. I was say, yeah, I, really he's like really tall. Yeah. I, you can't miss him. I've seen him. I, he's really tall. He's 6'10, six, 6'8. Six, he's wonderful. <laughs> he ain't the guy I'm talking about, though. <laughs> <laughs> they, they seem to be high on Alec Pierce, but everybody's high on their rookies until they have to go play football. There you go. With Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in 15 minutes, speaking of football, we'll talk about Mizzou. They've got their first game of the season tomorrow night. Uh, from what I understand, they are not expecting a massive crowd at Mizzou, which is a little disappointing. But the Tigers in action tomorrow. We'll talk to Gabe about what we should expect from uh, Mizzou coming up at 12 o'clock. Next, questions and answers. 65780 is your comfort service text line here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. In 10 minutes, we're talking to Gabe Armand of Power Mizzou. He asked an interesting question today. If you were guaranteed a 7-5 and five regular season in a bowl game and you're a Mizzou fan, would you take it today or would you rather play out the season because you think they can do better? My answer to that is very simple. Absolutely, I'm taking that and running with it. I would love if this season ended 7-5, and five, probably means Mizzou wins at least one game that they shouldn't this year. 
I would take that in a heartbeat. It signifies clear, tangible progress with Eli Drinkwitz as your head coach. I want to ask him about that coming up at 12 o'clock. What would be the number that I would have to offer you, Carrie, as an Illinois fan for you to take it? Like what, if I what, said, what gets us to a bowl game? Six. Six. If I said six. guaranteed six. six. Don't ask. Six. <laughs> hey, we got bowl invitations at five six. ones last year. Give me six. If six gets me there, I'll take it. I don't care. I don't, <laughs> I don't care about any other numbers. Whatever number you say gets us to a bowl game, that's the one I'll take. I'll take it right now. We don't have to play the season. I don't have to watch. <laughs> Let's do that. And we already have one win. So what is yeah, that? You it Six. Up. Give it to me. I'll take it. What's your number, Tanner? Oh, I would carry for, for this. I should clarify. <laughs> I'm not asking anything else. I don't need to know any other numbers in your life. What is your number that you would have to uh, get in terms of the number of wins guaranteed for for Illinois for you to lock oh, it in? I would carry. It would be six. Getting the six and then saying, "Hey, they made a bowl." That that would be it. Especially coming off a year in which they were five and seven, and honestly should have been bowl eligible after they uh, had that the one that Kerry and I don't like to talk about Rutgers appearance. <sighs> but I, I definitely so would say Illinois. six. <laughs> So I think you guys could get to seven this year by just playing out the season. Are you just cool. saying that? <laughs> cool. Yeah. Indiana, Indiana's a win. You got to two. Virginia should be a win. Chattanooga's, we lost to Virginia last year. I know what you did last year. Okay. Last year's Slaughtered last year. by Virginia last year. Chattanooga's a win. You've never been an Illinois fan, have you? Nebraska's <laughs> a win. And the Illini. Northwestern, easy win. That's six right there. Easy win? Easy win. Easy win. <laughs> Do you know that Northwestern calls themselves Chicago Big Chicago's Big Ten team? Yeah, and they're wrong. <laughs> are they? <laughs> the audacity for them to say that we are the state school, Illinois is, and Northwestern calls themselves Chicago's Big Ten team. Yeah, they're also hoity-toity about their journalism school. Like, bleep, bleep uh, Northwestern. Hey. They, they can take that stuff somewhere else. We've, we've wow. struggled with them. I, I played Northwestern one year, and they didn't run the, they didn't throw the ball the entire second half. And we were winning at halftime, so. I do like Pat Fitzgerald. <laughs> I, think, I think Pat Fitzgerald's a good coach. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 815. Hey, guys, there's rumors that the Cardinals could pursue Wilson Contreras in the offseason. Would he be the top target in the offseason? Or are there other players that you would rather see them go get? So this is interesting. I saw this today. Apparently, I think it was like Kaplan up in um, Chicago, Chicago who, who said, hey, he thinks the Cardinals could go after him. I think that's more him like connecting the tea leaves. It makes sense. Cardinals are losing Yadier Molina in the right. offseason. Wilson Contreras is a free agent. Wilson Contreras is the obvious top catching free agent on the market. Bingo, bango, bongo. He is of interest for the Cardinals. I don't think that there's actually a report out there on this. Would he make sense for the Cardinals, though? I guess it depends what the Cardinals want. Do they want a hitting catcher or they do they want a defensive minded catcher? If you want the defensive minded guy, there's some players out there for you like Martin Maldonado. He's perfectly fine. He's not going to hit a lick, but you've already got that in Yadier Molina. So what changes really? If you want the hitting version of the catcher, though, yeah, Wilson Contreras would be great here. How much? How much would he would he require? What is his That's What is thing. his salary? What is the the number that gets him to St. Louis? I think it's lower. The, 15, the Fifteen a year. Like how does how does how does Wilson Contreras? I, I, he's older than you'd expect, like twenty eight. I think Contreras you could keep end saying up saying that's old. I'm I'm I'm, I'm bothered by that. <laughs> <laughs> if twenty eight is old, how? What am I? I'm forty one. He's thirty. He's thirty years uh, old. Okay. Well, yeah. He's he's still got some years left and got some yeah. tread left on the tires. 
I, I would love to give Wilson Contreras a one-year deal. I, saying, I think he ends up, I think his market doesn't develop. I, I think he gets like I wonder one, if he ends up years. getting the qualifying offer and then signs back with uh, Chicago this year. Because qualifying offer is back this year. That sounds like a Cubs move. Yeah. Qualify offer thinking, oh, we're going to get a pick out of this. And Contreras is like, well, I know my market's not there. I wasn't dealt, so I'll sign that. I, I think that could happen. I Does he make sense? Yeah, but I don't think Cardinals fans are going to like me saying this, but I like the idea of just going after a defensive-minded catcher like Tucker Barnhart, Martin Maldonado, and then having your hitting catcher, quote-unquote, be Andrew Kisner. I know his yeah. overall numbers, 232 batting average, aren't what you'd go. That's not That's a hitting not a catcher. Hitting catcher but you look at him, like when he's played well, like when he has those hot streaks, like this month, he's been hitting near 300. Like he, I think he's better than a 230 batting average guy. I think he's like a 250, 260 guy, has a little bit of, gets on base, a decent clip, doesn't have a whole lot of power in his bat, but I think that's good enough. I think you could get away with like a Kisner and Barnhart slash Maldonado catching tandem next year rather than go get in Contreras, who people say he can't handle a pitching staff and I don't really want to pay him 15 million dollars even on a one or two year deal to come in and struggle doing that he's one hell of a hitter though um he I mean the power is just it's real he could bat sixth in your lineup and you feel good about it so I guess it just depends like to your question Carrie it depends on what he's looking for right if he ends if there's some crazy team out there like the Texas Rangers for example like what they did last year if they're willing to offer him a four-year deal worth $60 million, like, God bless you, Wilson right. Contreras, go take that money and go, go enjoy the Dallas area here. It's great in the summer. I'm not giving him that. But if he's willing to take, like, a two-year, $25, $30 million deal, maybe. Maybe I would consider that. It, it, it all just comes down to what the terms are. I think the Cardinals would definitely have interest. It just depends on what the money's going to have to be there. 65780 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers. All right, final question here. Hey, guys, who is the NFL quarterback that you think has the best chance to take the step forward that we saw last year from Joe Burrow? That's an interesting question. Uh, Carrie, if you were to name one guy that was already a good quarterback that we liked, but has a chance to become a great one this year, who would you say that is? I think uh, he got hurt. But he, he, the name that pops into my, my mind is Jameis Winston. I think he he was on the path. I mean, when he was in Tampa a few years back, he had a a I mean, he had a, a, a thirty very, thirty season. Yeah, not not the kind that you like, obviously. And I think six of them were, were pick sixes. So, but he was he was completing passes, and he did have had have a high number in passing yards. He just turned the ball over too much. And I think when he got with the Saints last year, he started last couple of years, he started doing the things that he needed to do. Uh, tore his knee up and was able was not able to play the entire season. So if I were going to pick one that kind of right there, and then you get Michael Thomas back, you got you got um, Olave, Olave who you drafted, Jarvis you got Alvin Landry. Ka- Jarvis Landry, you got Alvin Kamara out of the backfield who is who does everything. I think that offense is a, is an offense that is going to surprise some people. We were talking about it off air. Uh, Tampa Bay being the lead dog in that division, I I don't think so because I think what New Orleans has and with Jameis Winston taking care of the football. They're going to be a pretty good football team. Yeah, I like that one because I've always been a little higher on Winston, even though even after he had the 30-30 year. I, I think the one for me, I, I don't know if any of the like, younger quarterbacks do it. Like I know Trevor Lawrence is a name I've seen popping up a lot. That's um, who I would go with for what it's worth. I, he, he gets rid of one of the worst coaches in the history of the NFL, and now you've got, again, an adult in the room that can actually coach the position. I think Trevor Lawrence has a chance to be much, much, much better this year. I, I think he has the potential to do. I'm just not sold on that roster as a whole. Right. And then it's the same of like Jalen Hurts. I'm not sold on him being able to be that come that guy. I think the one for me, and I think he's done this before, and I think it'll be kind of an overhype, kind of like you've said that you think Joe Burrow is a little bit of how 
quickly he rose into the rankings after last season. I think it could be Derek Carr. I, I think Derek Carr could go from that guy that's always viewed as just that mid-level quarterback that's good. I mean, he's got plenty of weapons around him now that would it shock you if he has like another MVP caliber season? Not only he wins MVP, but he puts up really solid numbers in the AFC, leads the Raiders into the playoffs, and everybody goes, whoa, look at Derek Carr. He's this elite quarterback. I think that could potentially happen for Derek Carr this season. That's Kerry Davis. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a game of more likely to happen. 65780 is the air covered service hex line. That's coming up at 1215. But next, Gabe DeArmond is the publisher over at PowerMizzou.com. We're going to talk to him about what he would take. What would it take for him to hit the button? Yeah, lock that in. That's Mizzou season this year. Seven wins enough. We'll talk to Gabe about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. champion Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line to be joined by my friend, the publisher over at powermazoo.com. He's Gabe DeArmond joining us here on the show. Gabe, what's going on, man? How you doing today? Not bad, guys. How you doing? Uh, doing good. You asked an interesting question today on the site. You said, if you were guaranteed a 7-5 and five regular season and a bowl game, would you take that today? Or would you rather play out the season to see if they can get more than 7? Gabe, if I offered that to you as a impartial Mizzou coverer, as a Mizzou fan, would you sign up for that? I would take it because I did my predictions. I picked them 7-5, and five, but I had to kind of stretch to get there. Uh, you know, I'll be honest. I, I think it's harder to see much more than seven where this team's at, given the schedule, all that. So I think, I think like eight is probably a best case scenario. You guarantee me seven. I take it. I, I thought it was pretty telling. I posted the same thing on Twitter and our message board. And these are largely Missouri fans voting and two thirds of them said, give it to me now. And, mm-hmm. I think, I think that's fairly telling because I think most times if, if you tell a fan, hey, we'll give you seven and five, send you off to, you know, Birmingham or whatever bowl game that's going to get you, I, I think most fans are going to go, eh, I don't know about that. But, but I think that kind of tells you where they're at. Hey, Gabe, I, I, I am uh, an Illini, but I, I do like you all's coach in, in, in drink, and I think he's a great guy, great coach. What have you seen from him, and, and what can the, the, the fans from Mizzou fans expect from, from this team this season? This season, excuse me. Yeah, well, I think I think this is kind of the season that the you know the talk and the the hype and the recruiting rankings have to show up on the field. Um, he's eleven and twelve through two years. I don't think a lot of people blame him for that. He didn't take over a roster that had a ton of talent, anything like that. But he's got not only the top two recruiting classes in school history, he's got twenty six transfers over the last two years. I think so. I, that's why I, I think you look at it six and six. I, I think a lot of people are going to come away going, uh, where are we at? What direction are we going? Which is why to me, seven is kind of that bar for, okay, you're seeing tangible progress out of it. And, uh, 
You know, hey, Kerry, you don't have to tell me where you went to school, man. I'm an old guy. I think I covered games you played in. Probably, and, and I'm sure they were all losses because when we played Mizzou, it was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't a great stretch. No, was, no. Uh, that, that series kind of magically went away. It did. Thank God for us. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Gabe, speaking of a series that could go away quickly, I hate this Louisiana Tech game, man. I, I absolutely despise it. Last year, Louisiana Tech lost to Mississippi State on the road by one point. They lost to SMU you at home by two points they lost to nc state at the time that was a top 25 team by seven points there is no benefit to mizzou for winning this game and everything is on the line if they potentially lose it what do you expect tomorrow in this game between mizzou and louisiana tech and is just is it just as simple as find a way to win and move on yeah i i kind of see what you're saying about this game i don't necessarily disagree but real quick before i get to that yeah would you rather play this game or at middle tennessee state because that's what was on Touché. the show yeah mm. that that was a terrible you know, uh terrible decision from the very beginning as well but yeah this game yeah it sure. never made any sense you know desiree reed francois I, I talked to her in the spring she had to get like four or five schools to move games to get this on the schedule and then get it on ESPN on Thursday night. So I, I think Missouri did a good thing with sure. this game, but I understand your overall point about this game. Not a lot of benefit if you go win. And and I think all the points you brought up, I mean, Louisiana Tech was three and nine last year, but they were not terrible. They, they blew that Mississippi State game. They had that one. They lost to SMU on like a punt return or a block kick or something like that. And SMU is a pretty good team. Um, I think this is a game where I don't really think that you're going to feel like Missouri's in danger of losing it, but I also don't think this is just going to be a runaway. I I think we're going to get to the end of this game, and my message board for the next week is going to be a lot of hand-wringing that Missouri didn't win by as much as fans want Missouri to win by. I I think it's going to be like a 10- to 14-point game. Hey, Gabe, uh, BK and I yesterday were talking about uh, all the, the Mizzou and Illinois recruits that, that from the area that are on your on the team now. How important is that for this Mizzou roster and, and team going forward to continue to get guys, homegrown guys, keep them in town, uh, keep them in the state school and not trans- going to different places all, out, all over the country? Yeah, it's huge for, a, you know, for a school like Missouri, like Illinois, kind of on that, you know, that's not the elite power five level. In-state recruiting is so much more important and and a lot of times people want to point out, well, look how many guys Georgia misses from Georgia or Auburn misses from That's a different deal because a lot of those programs, some of those programs can go around the country and get similarly uh, rated guys. A, a program at Missouri of Missouri stature right now, you're rarely – and now Drinkwitz did it with Sam Horn and deserves a lot of credit for that. But four- and five-star kids from out of state that are coming to play at Missouri are pretty rare. So – when you've got a Sheldon Richardson in Missouri, you've got to get him. When you've got a Blaine Gabbert, when you've got a DGB or a or a Luther Burden, something like that in the area, those are the ones you have to get because you're not going to Phoenix or to San Diego or somewhere and getting a kid like that. You can go to Texas and get the kid that maybe doesn't have a Texas offer and a three-star kid, and he can turn into a heck of a player, but you're not getting that top 100 kid unless there's some natural tie to Mizzou. So I, I think that's big and fair or not fans like rooting for local guys, right? I, I mean, they like rooting for kids that maybe, Hey, I saw this kid play in high school, or I know a guy who knows this guy, something like that. There's, there's a little bit different level of connection. And, and that's not to say, Hey, Chase Daniels, one of the most beloved players in Missouri history, you turn into that. Absolutely. <laughs> they're going to love you forever. But a kid that maybe they saw play at a St. Louis or Kansas city high school, there's a little bit different connection. 
Gabe, I would say the number one storyline tomorrow is Luther Burden, who you just mentioned, making his debut in a Mizzou uniform. What are you expecting from him? We've all seen the highlights and everything, and he's obviously an unbelievably talented player, but what are your expectations for Burden tomorrow and then really just kind of in a larger question this season? Yeah, well, if I could get a, like a Super Bowl prop bet on Missouri's first play, I am going just raise up immediately, throw the ball to Luther Burke because they're <laughs> going to force him the ball. And like I would, I, I haven't bet on a sporting event since Ron Dane was in college. I would bet on that <laughs> because that that will be the first play. Um, but I, I think you've got to temper it a little bit. I mean. It, Wide receivers cannot change programs alone, right? My my biggest worry about Missouri's team on offense is right tackle. If right tackle's a turnstile or if Brady Cook isn't quite ready for this, you know, who gets Luther the ball? Um, it's it, it's not a, a position where you can come in and just single-handedly do it. I, if I throw out there that Luther catches 50 balls for 700 yards and six touchdowns, that's one of the best true freshman seasons in the history of the University of Missouri, and I think a lot of fans would hear those numbers and say, oh, I expect more than that, and, and maybe he'll produce more. He's a heck of a player, but I just think if you're going into this thinking 80 catches for 1,000 yards, like true freshmen don't do that very often. Hey, Gabe, you, you spoke about Brady Cook and, and making sure he stays upright. What, do, what can fans expect from him this season? Yeah, he's a better athlete than people think. Um, you know, he can run the ball. He's mobile. And I know Missouri fans are dying for that at quarterback after the last couple of years. Uh, as far as a passer, I don't know if we know. Because we saw him play Georgia. And, look, the game plan going into Georgia, which Drinkwitz will never say out loud, it was just don't get anybody killed. I mean, that was pretty obvious. <laughs> the game plan going into the Army game looked to me, hey, give Brady a little bit, the easy stuff he can handle get the ball out of his hands quickly. We haven't seen him operate with a full playbook. So I, I'm not sure what to expect. I, I mean, it's, it's to me, effectively his first real start. It's prime time. You know, however many people are going to be there, I don't know. But um, this is his team now. And, and that's a different deal than coming into the bowl game. There weren't really, I don't think, any expectations on Brady in the bowl game. It was just go out there, let's see what you can do. And, there aren't maybe huge expectations, but look, this is a big season, and he's the starting quarterback. And if it doesn't go well, he's going to catch the blame for it, and that's a bigger deal than than just hey, go start the the Armed Forces Bowl on December twenty second. Hey, Gabe, is Missouri's defense not going to be historically bad in the first half this year? Well, look, it it and I always say this, right? I, I go back and and I know you've seen this quote from our friend Sam Mellinger. Uh, I think it was Buddy Bell who said, yep. "Don't ever say it can't get worse." <laughs> I don't know how Missouri's defense can be worse. I, I mean, I, I've said a hundred times, the game plan literally against Missouri last year was make sure your quarterback doesn't trip over the center before he can hand the ball to the running back who also will not just fall back. Because if you didn't do that, you were hitting seven yards. I mean, it was it couldn't be worse. So it's going to be better. Now, I don't know. I mean, they've got a lot of new guys, and, uh, you know, Jaden Jernigan's going to start at defensive tackle. Uh, Tyron Hopper's going to start at linebacker. Joseph Charleston's going to start at safety. So they, they've got to transfer at every level. There are more of them on the two deep. I, I don't know what to expect. It's a brand-new scheme. Um, I think it's going to be better. The question is how much better. And, and earlier you said, you know, the biggest storyline is Luther. And you're right. It is to a lot of people. But the biggest storyline for this season is, how much improvement does this Missouri defense make? 
because if you have the defense you had last year, I Luther can't save it. Brady Cook can't save it. You can't win more than six or seven games with that defense. Now, if you can get to middle-of-the-road power five defense and then you've got an offense that's come along, maybe you can do some things. Um, and, and it's really a big storyline to me because this is the third defensive coordinator in three years. And, you know, it's I, college football has become a thing where the head coach is almost only the head coach of half the team. And I listened to Drinkwitz's radio show the other night, and Mike Kelly was asking about Louisiana Tech's offense. And at one point he said, and this is – like, I'm not making this quote up. He said, I- I'm just glad that's uh, that's something that the defense has to worry more about. We got our own set of problems. Well, I mean, that is your defense, and you pick the guy to run it. And if for a third straight year you don't have the guy, the right guy running it, you know, it's kind of like an AD. How many coaches do you let him hire? If this one doesn't work, I don't know how many more times you let Drinkwitz make the pick of who gets to do it. Hey, Gabe, I, 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 I will always root for Mizzou unless they are playing my line. I, I think we have the series coming back up here in a few years. Um, yep. And hopefully, for my sake, for my sanity, it goes much better than it did in the past. But I wish you all <laughs> the best of luck. I think you all going to have a great season, except for when you all play the line. <laughs> yeah. well, well, I just don't, I just hope for interesting, man. That's, that's what I'm lo- looking for. I gave to your point on Mizzou and other teams running the football against them. I will never understand why Boston College threw a pass in that game last year. <laughs> 50 carries for 275 yards. It was never behind the line of scrimmage, and they threw the ball 30 times. I will never understand that game plan. It was baffling. Still won, though. I didn't get it either, but yeah. it still won. Yeah, touche. Hey, Gabe, appreciate the time. I was the, the same thing about Kentucky. Y- yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, really any of them. A- any team on their schedule last year. Uh, <laughs> right. Appreciate the time, as always, man. We'll be reading over at PowerMizzou.com. Enjoy yourself tomorrow night. We'll talk with you again soon. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. You got it. That's Gabe DeArmond of Power Mizzou joining us here on BK and Ferrario. We got this text. How about this, Kerry? 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 573. Hey, guys, I think you're too low on Mizzou. They'll lose to Kansas State, Auburn, and Georgia, but they're going to beat Arkansas, Florida, Vandy, Kentucky, Tennessee, and South Carolina. And oh, by the way, they're also going to win all of their other non-con games other than Kansas State as well. What They're going to finish nine and three. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Alex had texted him. That sounds like a Ferrario prediction. BK, let me tell you something. When you can't stop the run, it is the worst. It is the longest day in the world. Like when when a team lines up and says, hey, we're not going to pass anymore. We're going to run this ball until I we cannot write, run it anymore. So I write for Rock M Nation about Mizzou football. Do you know how many times after a game I wrote, I don't know what to say anymore about the defensive line. <laughs> they were getting blown off of the ball three yards when, on literally every play. When you're when you are a D lineman oh, and you exhausting. are in the linebacker's lap, that that does not bode well for your for your run defense. On the plus side, they added like seventy five defensive linemen. They there have nineteen go. scholarship defensive linemen on the roster. One this of year. them, four of them can figure it out. I'm sure. Well, <laughs> I would hope so. I'll take three, <laughs> three, four. You can find three or four of them. You, you'll be okay. It's going to be interesting, man. I am curious to see what the uh, the level of excitement is for Mizzou football if. They are able to win tomorrow night. Now, they should. They they should beat Louisiana Tech. I've got my questions on the spread, but I they should beat Louisiana Tech. This was my question that I, I did have for you. What Where do you see seven wins? Because when you go down this list, and, I, and this is just me 
as as a as a as just a looking hater. at it. As no, a hater. I, I won't say as I'm a, a pure I just, hater. I just said I root for Mizzou unless uh-huh. they're playing against my alma mater. Yeah, clearly not enough. Nah, okay, that's fine. That's cool. Uh, but you got Louisiana Tech. You should win that, yeah. correct? At Kansas State. It's a huge, huge flip game for them. I, I think K-State should be favored by like seven points in that one. But if Mizzou wins, that's potentially you get to seven. Okay, so but that's a big one. So so one win against Louisiana Tech. Let's mm-hmm. say loss versus Kansas State. Okay. Abilene Christian. We should win that. Two. Loss? If they if they yeah, lose to Abilene Christian, it's over. Cancel the season. Yeah, it's over. I don't need to watch the rest of the year. So that's two wins. Yeah. At Auburn. That you should you I should probably should that lose game. that game. Oh, However, at Auburn. I think and, they can and, win and that TBD. game. We don't know what time. Where my, my assumption is they'll lose that game. But again, Auburn is a disaster, and I have no idea of, what's they going got, on. They, own, they got their own set of yeah. things going so on down there. Two. So we still at two. You don't have at, to ask about Georgia. Okay, <laughs> I, I want Georgia. No, okay, at Florida because because Florida I think that's a loss. that is a team playing down there in Florida and, and in possibly a night game. Yeah, Mizzou's that, had that, some success down in the swamp, but. I don't know what to expect out of them this year because Billy Napier's in his first year there. I, I think Dan Mullen, for all of his faults, is an excellent offensive coach. Mizzou will be an underdog in that game. Okay, but they have had success in the past against Florida. I'll say it's a loss for this. So we're, we're still at two. Yeah. Vanderbilt, you got to win that. that game. You got to win that one at home at South Carolina. These next two games are where it could potentially flip it, for you it, again. Either way, you you have you to can, beat South Carolina. You have to you have to win those next two games. Yep. At, at, South, at, at South Carolina and versus Kentucky. Yep, you got to win those. Those two. are two tough games. If you win those, That's you're five. at five. If you don't, it's, it's, you're it, not it, at five. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to lose to Tennessee. Tennessee's at really Tennessee. good. So let's say we, and let's then say New Mexico win, State, that's you got to beat that's Arkansas. Six, six seven. You, so that's you seven. Yeah, that's a lot of wins against some very tough competition. I, 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 <laughs> it's just my opinion. The flip the. Fl- the the swing games for Mizzou this year are Kansas State on the road, South Carolina on the road, Arkansas at home, and Kentucky at home. Those are those are the four games that will determine the outcome of the right. season if we assume that all of the others kind of go as expected. Those those are the games that determine, is this a good year for Mizzou? Is it a bad year for Mizzou? So, so it's either, answer the question. It could be, yes, hit the button. <laughs> <laughs> give me seven today. I want that so bad. Just give me seven wins. Coming up in 15 minutes, the Cardinals, if you look at their lineup, Carrie, and you compare it to what the Dodgers have done, strip all of the names, just look at the numbers. It is remarkably similar. We'll talk about that coming up in 15 minutes. More likely to happen is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's more likely to happen? They'll figure it out. BK and Ferrario's most likely to happen. Comfort service tax line for more likely to happen. Let's start out with this one from the 314. Hey guys, who's more likely to be batting in the top four for the Cardinals come playoff time? Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson? I think it's clearly Tyler O'Neill, right? Yeah, I think so. He's seeing the ball better. Um, Ali talked about him not chasing those high fastballs and, and kind of locking in and being able to have better at bats. I think Tyler O'Neill is the is the one. Yeah, I definitely think it's Tyler O'Neill. I, I Dylan Carlson's not even getting starts right now, so I, I can't see where he just gets on a run here in the final four weeks of the season where he finally gets into that spot. I, I would ask, would it be Tyler O'Neill or Albert? Is 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 Albert? If it's a lefty, yeah, 
Uh, is 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 he? I've been saying all he year, worked I his think way. That, I think he should be batting second in this lineup against really? left-handed pitching. He okay. likes him at leadoff. Don't let him lie. <laughs> I'd be down. I, I know they, they will not do that, but I would do that. Um, I think it's Tyler O'Neill. Okay. Just because of the speed element. The the tough part with Albert is if he's in front of Goldie or Arnato and they hit a double. It's, it's going to be a be, single with him yeah, on base because yeah. he, he just doesn't move. Uh, with Tyler O'Neill, however, you you could, man, with one of those two guys coming up, Goldie or Arnato, a hard hit single with with O'Neill on first could score him. Right. So I think it's more likely that it's probably Tyler O'Neill. What would you say on that? With Tyler O'Neill or Albert? Mm. Um, I, I, yeah, I probably would still say Tyler, um, just based on, especially where he's batting in the lineup. If he's batting number two, yeah, he don't want Albert on on. In front of those two guys. Six five seven eight zero is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. More likely, Goldie wins triple cat crown, or Nolan Arenado wins the MVP. So, yesterday there was another home run from Kyle Schwarber. Schwarber yeah. So, Goldie now. Let me go to the home run leaders. Goldie, in terms of home runs, is three back of Kyle Schwarber for the lead in the National League. He's still leading when it comes to the batting average in the NL and RBIs. He is in the or tied for the lead with Pete Alonzo. I think it's still Goldie getting the triple crown, but that home run lead is going to be tough to chase down. Well, I, I think I think that I think it's Goldie because I don't think Arenado would win the MVP over Goldsmith. Uh, are we are we solidified? Are we sold on Arenado being the MVP? No, ahead no, of, ahead no. Of Both like, are those unlikely. Are, it, well, uh, if you were to, if which one is more unlikely? I think Arenado winning I think MVP. So, so if you're choosing the the lesser of two evils, so to speak, you would say Goldie winning the, the, triple, the triple, crown. triple crown. I was gonna say I think it's harder for Arenado to catch Goldie for MVP than it yeah. is for Goldie to catch uh, Schwarber in the home right. run chase because I mean Schwarber went through before he hit the two home runs in the last two days. A stretch where I think it was like 14 games, I believe, mm-hmm. where he hadn't hit a home run. So. Schwarber's kind of a streaky player, and if Goldie gets hot again, I, I think it's easier for Goldie to kind of catch the home run lead and then kind of regain the lead in the RBI race than it is for Arnado to basically have like a 400 batting average uh, in September, which would probably be what it would take for him to get really hot and surpass Goldie for MVP. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. Guys, more likely to happen. Mizzou wins eight games this football season, or the Cardinals advance to at least the NLCS? Cardinals. Okay, didn't even need a second of thought on that. <laughs> I didn't need to hear anything after you said when they Just whatever the second option is. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you get to a test question, and like the ACT or something, oh, you're like, oh, I don't that. even know what they just asked me. C. <laughs> C is the answer. I know this one is wrong, so let me go with this one. That is process of elimination. Those that don't know when you're taking a test, the best way to get the answer is process of elimination. Scratch right. out the ones that you are, are clear are not the correct answer. And if you're unsure, go with the one that you... Didn't you know. need that from you today. No, nah, I'm just trying to help out. Uh, Carrie's right on, though. <laughs> Carrie's right. I, I really didn't have to hear the second part of the question either. <laughs> it's like Family Feud when they hit the buzzer before he finishes the question. <laughs> I know this. I know this answer. Not the first one. <laughs> yeah, not that one. Yeah, definitely, definitely Carlos to the CS. I can't see Missouri oh, yeah. winning eight games. I, we just went down the schedule, I know, BK. I know, I know Gary. We had trouble finding I, I will five talk to your seven. inner Mizzou fan. Think with your head and not your heart, okay? We are, we are, we are akin in that. We have the same yeah. mindset that we want and we believe that great things will always happen. And then we are. Carrie, there was once a team against Missouri. You know how many downs you get in football yeah. to get a first down? You have four, yeah. right? 
They yeah. got five. I remember that. They got five. And they, and they scored on the fifth one. I, I remember that. Yeah, that was pretty bad. That's, but that's Mizzou football. As it is, we are the same. Just embrace it. Well, don't hey, think anymore. I just don't embrace it. I don't know he's going to be Wisconsin no I, I don't know. I, I, I do not know about that. It, text in if you think Mizzou has had more heartbreaks than Illinois. I, I, will, I would like That'd to hear that. Fun, we'll, yes. we'll put that up on the poll on the 101 ESPN app. Which team has had more heartbreak? As a fan base, Illinois uh, or Mizzou? With all that being said, Illinois beat Wisconsin. Have you heard Look of the it. name Tyrus Edney? On the road. Tyrus Edney. Uh, Tyrus Edney. He went, yeah. Yeah, I have. Sean May. Do you, do you I, remember I'll, what I'll take your Tyrus Edney and raise you Sean May. Touche. <laughs> Touche. Yeah. Sean May went crazy in the national championship game. We, we haven't even made it to a final <laughs> four, man. I mean, what's worse? I don't know. <laughs> Getting there and losing or never, or never have been there. Which one? You tell me, because getting there and losing is pretty dang on heartbreaking. Yeah, I I think I would rather get there, but I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 Sister Jean, I'll raise you another one. Because we that, yeah, that one was yeah, rough. Oh, yeah, that yeah, one yeah. was bad. <laughs> Norfolk State. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, there you go. We can do this all day. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service text line for more likely to happen. Uh, more likely to be the Cardinals' third playoff starter in the first round. I'm assuming this means that Jack Flaherty is one of the top two, based on the question. More likely to be the Cardinals' third playoff starter, Miles Michaelis or Jordan Montgomery? This is assuming that Flaherty is number Let's two? Let's assume that Flaherty is awesome. He reestablishes, reestablishes himself as your I number like two starter. Option. You got Michaelis or Montgomery. Which one are you going I would with? go Michaelis. Assuming that Flaherty is the number two. Now... If you say Flaherty and, and Montgomery, that would that would put us in a different position, wouldn't it? Because I, yeah. I think I would go Montgomery. Just just based on what he's done since he's been here. And we don't know what, what Flaherty has right now. We we just have no no clue. We got hope. We have we we, we definitely hope, have hope. <laughs> hope As is, Mo is, likes it, to say. Hope can take you many places, but <laughs> doesn't always doesn't always help you when you get there. As they said <laughs> in one of my favorite movies, hope is a good thing. Maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. <laughs> I I think I would say it's more likely Michaelis, too. I, between him and Montgomery, I think Michaelis, he's been your workhorse all year. I know he's had a couple of bad starts in the second half, but they were, as we mentioned, I think it was yesterday, two in Cincinnati and one in Colorado, two of the toughest ballparks to pitch in, so I don't read too much into those, and neither of those teams are playoff teams. So I would say more likely it would be Miles Michaelis as the number three compared to Jordan Montgomery. Yeah, but to... To both of your points, the answer is probably that Flaherty is the most likely that's not yeah. in this conversation. Yeah. But if we're answering it just between those two, I think I would go Michaelis. Yeah. But I think that this is going to be decided in the next month. Like, I think September has a drastic impact on what the rotation looks like in the wild card round, what your bullpen roles will be once you get to the playoffs, and what that lineup looks like, especially against right-handed pitching. The hope is that you've found this now. With the large new bar, Brendan Donovan at the top, and then uh, Tyler O'Neill now has kind of established himself as that five-hole guy, and then you just build it from there. But I think the next month is kind of going to determine all of these different options that you have for you uh, for this team. Speaking of that lineup with Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. I'm going to need a little bit of time here to decompress after thinking about all the difficult losses that Missouri's <laughs> had in my lifetime. The Cardinals lineup surprisingly compares favorably against the Dodgers. Does that change the way that you view this roster as we head into the month of September? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. That's Super Bowl champion Kerry Davis. He's about to tell you why your baseball team stinks. He's Tanner Hendrickson and I'm Brandon Kiley. <laughs> Our segment that we are about to talk about is called The Cardinals Surprisingly Compare Favorably to the Dodgers. I said that in the in the lead up to this segment, and Kerry said, you sure about that? And I said, yeah, I think so. I've got the numbers to prove it. He said, I don't know, man. We can go position by position. So that's what we're going to do here. Let's do it. Let's go position by position comparing the Cardinals to the Dodgers. Now, let me start out with this. You go over to a, a gentleman he go, he's on Twitter by the name of at STL underscore stats underscore facts. And he was spitting some stats and facts last night on okay. the on the tweets. I will retweet this right now. I'm at BK Sports Talk. And it goes down line by line and it compares the Cardinals lineup one through nine to the Dodgers lineup one through nine. And I'm not going to give you all of the numbers you can see there on Twitter, but I, I will tell you this. They are almost identical. Like it, it was legitimately shocking to me how close they were. And I do think that it it speaks favorably to the Cardinals that they can even do that side by side with the Dodgers. However, let's go ahead and do this. Okay. Let's go through one by one. We can go position by, by position? position for you. All right. And we can talk about which one you think the Cardinals have the edge, which one the Dodgers have a clear edge, and which one is like a toss-up. There could be toss-ups in here. Uh, uh, okay. Are we strictly by numbers or are we saying, you know— this person versus this person, the the eyeball test is that a, is that a factored you in can as well? Take this however you'd like. All right, that, eyeball you test can, is you what can I give use. Your the eyeball test matters. Yeah, matters. yeah. 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 I don't use yeah. those advanced yeah. nerdy numbers yeah. where BK's yeah. like yeah. looking yeah. at what their batting averages in sixty seven degree I got weather. Hair on this show, <laughs> I understand what my role is, and I play it in my opinion very well. So we'll do that right here. Let's go. Let's start with catcher. Uh, right. They've got Will Smith. Yeah, he I'll is, take him. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work, <laughs> Gary. But uh, so far on this season, he has hit 19 home runs as a catcher. Mm. And on the year, he is batting 270. He is 30% above league average offensively. Those are your nerdy numbers for you. Uh, yeah, I, I like that side. I, I want to be on you, the you, Dodger you, side. You'll take him? Yep. Okay, can you write down the, the one? Loss? I got you. Oh, you got I got it. it. Okay, I got, got you. One nothing Dodgers. One, one nothing Dodgers. All right, what we got next? All right, we'll go first base. They've got Freddie Freeman. He's an MVP candidate this year. He I'll, is a tremendous player, and he is no Paul Goldschmidt, He is sir. not. I would take Goldie. So we one to one. I think I'd lean Goldie, too, just because he's leading in just about lean every category. Freddie Freeman has had an incredible but, year. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's kind of a toss-up, honestly. Mm, I don't think so. Eyeball test, numbers. One is better defensively, one's yeah. better base running, one's better hitting. What do you want on yeah. the Freddie Freeman side? Oh, and by I, the way, I in my opinion, Freddie Freeman, Goldie. clubhouse cancer. Whoa. Yeah, I said it. Oh, whoa! That's yeah, that, is a, that, that is a was that, that came. Yeah, oh. <laughs> get down. Him and Ronald Acuna <laughs> apparently banging heads. Oh. Uh, nope, I, I, I'm out on Freddie. One Freeman. one. All right. I love Freddie Freeman. He's such a good player. <laughs> I would love to have him on my baseball team. Uh, Gavin Lux, second baseman for the Dodgers. Here's a question for you: What do you want to do at second base for the Cardinals? How do you want to do the middle infield? Are we going Brendan Donovan? Are we going Nolan Gorman? Are we going Tommy Edmond? How do you guys well, want to put Tommy? This? Who's 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 the shortstop? Hopefully I think Tommy Edmund should be your shortstop. <laughs> and at second base, we've got to decide, are you comparing Gavin Lux to Brandon Donovan or Nolan Gorman? You, we could honestly say either of them and just compare the two, but what would you guys prefer? I would I, say you. I would say Donovan. That's what I was saying. Yeah, I would say, I'd Donovan. say Donovan. Would you rather have Gavin Lux or Brandon Donovan at second base? I'm going on the Donovan side personally. Mm. It's pretty close. I think you could call it a 
a toss-up if you'd like. But I would rather have Brendan Donovan, given his versatility, given what he adds for you uh, defensively. I, I think he's a slightly better player. But, again, I could understand if you want to go with Gavin Lux or if you call it a toss-up. I would almost I, I lean a little bit towards Gavin Lux. I think his numbers are just a little bit better, and, and he's got a little bit more experience than Brendan Donovan. So I would lean towards I, Lux. I, you know what? I, I will go with you. I, I will give you I will give you Brendan, Brendan Donovan. Numbers are, are similar and I'll stick with the home team since you told me I was going to tell you the Cardinals stink before we got on. So I, I, I'll, we'll go there. Two, the one next one's a little tough for me to make a case. <laughs> a, a little tough, not going to lie. Trey Turner's the starting shortstop for yeah, the Dodgers. Yeah. Right, I'll just I put a Tommy Edmond. We talked earlier about we how did. Tommy Edmond's surprisingly awesome. good this year. Yeah, Trey Turner. Yeah. Next. Yeah. <laughs> I think we can basically do the same thing at third base. Their third baseman is Max Muncy. He's been starting there more often than not. Uh, They also have Justin Turner there. You can throw whoever you want to in the mix. They ain't as good as Nolan Arenado. No, yeah, you got it. Nolan. Hey, guess what? 3-2. Cardinals are leading 3-2 right now. We we still got a few more spots to go. Left field, Joey Gallo slash Trace Thompson versus Tyler O'Neill. Or not, we'll go Corey Dickerson. Yeah, we'll go go Corey Dickerson here. I I personally, and I know this Seems odd, especially after the tear that Dickerson's been on. I would take the Dodgers tandem of Gallo and, and Trace Thompson. Thompson Trace Corey Thompson's Dickerson. been really good this year. Yeah. I don't believe in it at all. I I don't understand how it continues to happen, but he's been excellent I don't offensively either, for them. But I don't believe that Corey Dickerson's what he's totally been here in the second half. So I would lean towards the Dodgers, Dodgers. in this one. Okay. Center field. The Dodgers this year have Cody Bellinger, who is... I don't even understand what's going on with Cody Bellinger. He's not a good hitter any longer. He's hitting 210 this year. And on the Cardinal side of things, you've got Tyler O'Neill. I think I would rather have Tyler O'Neill. We can go Tyler. I'm with you too. I plus he's I personally believe he's a better defender in center field than oh, yeah. and when he and we're starting to see him hit his stride, he's definitely the better hitter as well. And then right field is Mookie Boots Mookie Boots. M- <laughs> Mookie Betts versus Lars yes. Newpar. Uh I think you like go, the Mookie Betts side Mookie. of things? Yeah. So it's five four. Four four. I got wait. Four four? I got it as 4-4. Four, 4-4. Four. Four, four. And then if you go to the, with the DH as well, they've got Justin Turner there. You've got Albert Pujols slash Nolan Gorman. I think I like the Cardinals side of things there. I will go with the Cardinals as well. So it's 5-4. Cardinals. Cardinals. Hmm. Hmm. No, I, 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 what is your takeaway from that? It's much better than, than, I, than one would think. It's the first time in, what, seven years? That the Cardinals have realistically been able to go head to head, going up and down the lineup and saying to themselves, we got I think you've like, even if it? somebody disagrees with one of our assessments yeah. on an individual player and they would rather have the Dodger side or they, they, in one of them that we said the uh, Cardinals get that is maybe a toss up, you can reasonably say the Cardinals either have an edge or are matching up one for one with the Dodgers right now offensively. And, and last year, one even close if i remember correctly because we i remember us doing this heading into the wild card game against the la dodgers and goldie was the one you had the edge in and i think arnado was maybe the second one but it was a lot closer because arnado i mean it wasn't a down year but his average was down last year's on base was down and it was you put him up against justin turner and it was a lot closer and o'neill was a lot closer out in the outfield last year as well so yeah this is the first time you've been able to say this i i still think that you're not like in the same tier as the Dodgers by any means, but I think you're still in that second tier. Like I, I truly believe if you go up against the Dodgers, are you the favorites? No, but I think you have a shot, and I think that's all you can ask for when you go up against the L.A. Dodgers. I didn't think Atlanta had personally a shot against L.A. heading into that NLCS last year, and they took them down and went on to win a World Series. So it does feel better to see that you've closed the gap and then arguably have a better 
offense when you look at it in terms of position by position. Six five seven eight zero is your comfort service X line from the three one four guys. The Dodgers have more than or more wins than anybody else in all of baseball. They're fifty two <laughs> games above five hundred. How can you possibly compare these two teams? What an idiotic idea. I mean. We didn't talk about the pitching. That, there we go. Because <laughs> that, that's the part, the most crucial part of it. Uh, they have allowed they, 100 fewer <laughs> runs on the year than the Cardinals have. And, and wow. uh, by the way, also than all of the rest of the National League. The Dodgers' run suppression is on a different level than everybody else in baseball this year. Yeah, they, so they that's, are, that's they are the, pitching well. Three of their... Three of their pitches are in the top ten of of wins in the during the season. Yeah, they, they've and, been and, incredible. And and, and uh, Kershaw is not one of them. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, it's Tony Gonsolin yeah. and uh, Tyler Anderson are yeah. two of their top pitchers right now, and Julio Urias as well. I, I will say this: like, I don't know how much I believe in those. It's weird because we don't seen believe it, in 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 what they've in, done. In Anderson in, specifically, Anderson and Gonsolin, mm-hmm. we've seen against the Cardinals what it looked like with Gonsolin out there. He he wasn't super impressive, and I'm not saying he's not a good pitcher. I, I think he's solid, but I view him kind of like other teams probably view Miles Michaelis. Like if Miles Michaelis is on the mound, you feel very good about that as a Cardinals fan. I don't think he strikes like this this fear in other teams a way that a Max Scherzer or a Clayton Kershaw or even maybe at this point in his career an Adam Wainwright right. would. But he's a good pitcher. He gives you you a chance to win as a as a Cardinals fan. That's kind of how I feel about Tyler Anderson and Tony Gonsolin. If you go up against them in a three game series, I think the Cardinals have every opportunity to win those two games. And in fact, I think they've got a pretty good shot to be able to take out those pitchers after four or five innings. So that's that's where I feel better about it against the Dodgers than I would say the Mets or even maybe the Braves because of the the front end of their starting rotation. I think I would be more afraid of of the Dodgers just based on those numbers from the pitchers. I mean, obviously, we just talked about the lineups. You know, you 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 can pick one or here or there, four to five, and, and who you would rather have position by position. But when you get to the starting pitching, which Cardinals have gotten much better since the trade deadline, obviously, that was one of the main issues that they had. But when you look at what they're doing with their pitching – that's where the, in the playoffs, that's when it's going to count most. You got to be able to keep runners off base, keep the ball out of you know out of the zone, keep the ball in the infield, in the park. And if they're doing, if the Dodgers are doing that at that type of level, it's going to be hard to score runs, no matter who's coming up to the bat, to bat to bat. See, for me, it's weird because I'm I'm in the same vote as BK. Like I look at some of those guys in that pitching staff, I'm like, I don't really fear them in the playoffs. I honestly fear the offense for the Dodgers more than the pitching staff if you look at a playoff series. And we just said that we give the Cardinals the edge 5-4 to four when you're looking at that position by position. But I've seen so many of those offensive guys do it in the playoffs before. And I think Gonsolin's pitched in the playoffs before, but I don't think it's been anything where it like, stands out. Otherwise, we'd all would recognize the name and go, holy cow, that's a really good pitcher. Same with Tyler Anderson. Anderson has like no playoff experience. And you look at Julio Urias, I mean, you've seen him. He can. He's, he's the only guy that I fear. Kershaw yeah. as well, but Kershaw still has the bugaboo. I know he won a World Series with the team, but he still has that bugaboo of having playoff uh, struggles. So I look at the lineup and I go, I actually fear that more, even though on paper the pitching has just been phenomenal for them this season. That's Gary Davis. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, ESPN ranks their futures for M- MLB teams across the league. Where do the Cardinals rank in terms of the teams that they like their long-term outlook? We'll talk about that coming up at 1 o'clock. But next, it's time to dive into the junk drawer with an update on the story that we talked about yesterday here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. 
Yesterday, we had a story from Milwaukee. And alongside Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Our guy Mark was friend-zoned by a girl who said that they, did, they she didn't want him to wreck their friendship. The quote was, Mark, your friendship means the world to me. Let's not wreck it. And if you missed this story yesterday during the junk drawer, she didn't just text this to him. Oh, that's not how we found out about it. Of course, she put it up on the Jumbotron at American Family Field out in Milwaukee. And the Brewers used that as their inspiration to win the game, of course. For Mark. That's right. Win one for Mark. Yesterday, our guy Mark, there was an update in the story, Carrie. There was a new message okay. on the Jumbotron. It said, hey, Mark, you can always turn to me. Signed, Ginny. At eight six seven five three zero nine. So they're having a good time at Mark's expense, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Again, when we said yesterday that Mark has to move, I wasn't kidding. Yeah, it's Mark time to go. needs to find a new place to live, and it might have to be an island. It, I don't it, know that there's anywhere else. Just him. In no, pure isolation. No. <laughs> We've had experience with this now. We had a global pandemic. We've yeah. all lived in isolation for a period of time. I feel like Mark's ready for this. Can, can we be nice to our guy, Mark? He's been going through it over yeah, the Jenny. last couple of days. So Jenny. the thing about Mark is, as I said this yesterday, no one knows which Mark they are talking about. No last name was given. The name of the, the female who said, we Gary, are just friends. Knows, though. He knows, but... But BK, you don't have to tell anybody that. Uh, Let's be honest. Carrie, if you were Mark, we would know that this is about you. (laughs) It's possible. (laughs) His closest friends know that it's about him. But everybody else, you you don't have to move necessarily. Now, when you become... His co-workers know it's him. His friends know it's him. His close friends know. His close friends definitely know. Oh, yeah. yeah, and they're telling they're everybody. Talking about him. He's got to get new friends now. Which means yeah, you got to move. Do. You yeah. got to move. You might be right. It's time to go. Like, you, you, you probably, can't stick around. You've got two options. You either need to move to like Montana or you're in the middle of nowhere and you are secluded and you are the only person in that neighborhood. I think or you leave the country. You got to go to New York where well, like you can just fit in and you're Mark... One you out can, of a million. You can move to to another city and just go by Marcus, and oh. nobody nobody will know that you are that Mark. He's got to change his name now. It's not. It's just it, Marcus. Let's change your name, Marcus, and I, and and go go with that, and you'll this, be fine. So my dad, he'll he'll get so mad at me for telling this story on the air. God, if he knew I was telling this story. So my dad's name originally was Harold. Okay. He hates the name. Ter- okay. Terrible name because it's Harold. Like, come on. So. His middle name is Anthony. Okay. So he decided in high school, I'm going to go by Anthony. That goes by for a couple of years, whatnot. He gets to college. You know what he changes his name to this time? What is that? Antoine. <laughs> <laughs> my father decided my first year of college, I'm going by Antoine. All right. Why? I don't know. My father's name is now Tony. There you <laughs> He's go. gone by Tony for the last 40 years. <laughs> but for some reason, he decided I'm going by Antoine to start my college career. Uh, mistakes were made. Mark needs to figure this out. But he, you, you got to go by. Like, it's not like you're not going Marquise. No, you're going you, Marcus. Marcus. <laughs> and and you know nothing about what took place in Milwaukee. That that Who is Mark? I don't know that yeah. man. 
Never seen him before. I, plenty of marks. My name is Marcus. Sorry. <laughs> did you did you used to live in Milwaukee? No, I have no yeah, idea. What Never even been to Milwaukee. Yeah, I, mean, I got cheese curds there. I don't know. Anything about 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 well, no, I, don't, I don't know if I want to go. I don't want to go to Milwaukee. Yeah. Somebody said, "Is Stalter your dad?" <laughs> Come on, man. Saltering that old. Oh. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're getting back to college football. The transfer portal has completely changed the way that I look at college football. And, Carrie, I think we're going to get some surprising results this weekend because of the transfer portal. We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, ESPN is incredibly high, not just on the Cardinals for the near term, but also the long term. We'll tell you how high coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Carrie Davis and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. In about 15 minutes, I think the way that we assess college football going into the regular season is going to have to change in future years because of the transfer portal. We'll get into that coming up here in just a little bit. But I think all of us are pretty high on not just the Cardinals right now, but also what their long-term outlook looks like. So you've got on the current Cardinals roster, you've got Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt. They're locked up long-term. Tommy Edmond has multiple years of control. We're all cautiously optimistic, I would say, about Dylan Carlson, that eventually he's going to get to be the player that they want him to be. He's under contract long-term. you got Nolan Gorman as well. And oh, by the way, in your minor league system right now, you've got Jordan Walker, you've got uh, Tink Hintz, who they are very excited about, Alec Perlison, and the shortstop prospects that they've got in Mason Wynn. You've got a lot of guys locked up long-term that you're very excited about. So ESPN did an article earlier today. Which teams have the most talent locked up long-term? And they ranked the 30 cores of all of Major League Baseball. Number one is no surprise, the Atlanta Braves. Mm -hmm. They have seemingly everybody on their roster locked up for at least like the next five years. The Braves are at number one. They've got Acuna, Austin Riley, Freed, Olsen, Albies, Harris, Strider, etc. All long-term. They're on another level. At number two on this list is the Houston Astros, which makes a lot of sense. Number three, no surprise once again, is the L.A. Dodgers. And number four is your St. Louis Cardinals. The reason why I find this interesting, Carrie, is because we have talked for so long about how the Cardinals need to be in that same conversation with the Dodgers or the Mets or the Braves. How do they get to that place of not just being in contention for the playoffs every year, but being in contention for championships regularly? This is how you do it. You have two Hall of Fame players on your roster Mm -hmm. and Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt in their primes, and then you build the cores around them. And this offseason, and so why I find the the conversation about a Wilson Contreras or what they're going to do this offseason so compelling is because now you supplement it. Now you go into this year and you feel great about what you've built. Because you have so many players on cheap cost control deals, that allows you the opportunity to, to then also go to the market You don't have to spend crazy money. Like you don't have to go out there and get Trey Turner on a 200 to 300 million dollar contract. Right. But you can supplement this with some nice bullpen pieces, maybe another position player or something. The Cardinals are in a great spot right now. Maybe one of the three best based on this list in the National League. 
is this taking into consideration the the minor league players that they also mm-hmm. have? Yep. So so I think when we talked about you know the trade deadline and why they didn't need feel the need to bring in a Juan Soto is because of what you had in the minor leagues and going forward. The question will be, when do those players come up and, and get into this into this lineup? At, at what point is it next season? Is it, you know, September call-ups at the end of next season? When is the time where you can have your, your cornerstone players in Goldie and Arenado along with the Mason Wins and, and the Jordan Walkers? Because those young guys need to have those older guys there to kind of mentor them and, and show them the correct way to do things. The same way that Albert is doing when he's not playing in games. He's he's constantly talking to the younger guys and, and t- probably talking about pitch selection and where, you know, where this guy likes to pitch and what you do well and what you don't do well. Those things help. And when you are championship teams, when you have an, – an, an, the opportunity to be a championship team, it is it is a mixture of, you know, veterans that have done it at a high level and still doing it at an elite level and younger guys coming in and learning how to take up that next role and become the veterans when those guys find their way out. So I, I, I do like that they are where they are right now. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing when those guys come up when they're going to be a part of this. I would prefer sooner rather than later because I don't want, you know, Arenado to be – you know, on the decline or, yep. or Goldie to be on the decline where now you're saying, OK, now it's time to bring some of these prospects up and see what they can do. Let's get them up sooner than later and, and, and let's have them mesh and gel and become a team together and see how far it can go. It's exciting because it makes me think that the next I know the Cardinals would never say this, but it makes me think that the next like three years is a winning kind of a World Series window. If you want to look at it that way, because you've got the superstars that Kerry's talking about with Goldie and Arnado, And instead of waiting for them to kind of decline and then you bring up the prospects. I mean, we all we all agree. Jordan Walker's probably going to be here at some point next year. Nolan Gorman's here and we'll see what his second year looks like. And then you got the complimentary pieces like a, a new bar Donovan kind of that can either be that out, out starting outfielder for you when you need it like new bar is right now. Or if he has to become a fourth outfielder filter for you he can be and that's where it comes into that what you were mentioning that conversation of this allows the Cardinals not to go spend crazy they're never going to spend Dodgers level money but you can go out and find those supplementary pieces like the Wilson Contreras I honestly believe Jose Iglesias is going to be a legitimate target for them adding another bullpen arm into this mix or adding in another starter here until you get guys like McGreevy and that up here so seeing them at number four I mean we can agree looking at the rest of this list the Dodgers the Astros and the Braves are all in winning windows right Mm -hmm. now and the fact of the matter that you're right up there in the top five on this list from Kylie, Kylie McDaniel on ESPN gets me excited because I know we said this year, heading into this year, this was the start of the winning window. I think it's more next year's when it starts. I think this was kind of the early honeymoon phase of, okay, we're starting to coast into it. Next year's when is, I think it actually starts. I know the Cardinals will never say that, but I think this starts a window, like the Blues have had, a window of World Series contention for the Cardinals starting next year. look at the rest of the top ten. To that point, the Blue Jays winning window right now. The Padres, they are really going for it Mm -hmm. in this winning window right now. Then you've got the Mets, the Phillies, the Guardians, the Mariners. All of those teams that I just mentioned in the top ten are trying to win now. Right. And they also have what appears to be a sustained window over the next three to five years. And that's definitely where the Cardinals are at. Now, the other thing that I think is important about where this list is, and it it just confirms what we've thought previously, but I think it puts it on paper pretty well. The rest of the division is not in that same situation. The Brewers are about to go in not like a complete rebuild the way that the Pirates or the Reds or the, the Cubs were. But yeah, a bit of a retool. They're trying to retool on the fly where... The last couple of years were probably the peak for the next five of what you're going to see from the Brewers. They're at 12th on this list in terms of the cost-controlled players that they have for the long term. The Reds are at 19th. The Cubs are at 22nd. 
and the Pirates are at 23rd. Mm. That's the division you're competing with over the next few years. So not only in the National League relative to your other competitive peers are you at or near where they are, but also within your own division, the teams that you're competing with most often, all of them are cycling to the back half of the league right now. So you are in a very advantageous situation. This is not like the Blues where they had to deal with the Avalanche or um, at times the Winnipeg Jets where those were like in their winning windows at the same time. The Cardinals are in their winning window when the rest of their division is down. That's the best case scenario in the National League right now. Does that change anything with the with the pitching staff going forward? Is 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 that consideration of of Wayno being here next year and and what that rotation looks like with Flaherty or not, Dakota Hudson or not? Does that take into consideration what those guys are doing? Because obviously we we have high hopes and and and, and aspirations for we can what we can do at the plate, but as we saw earlier in this season. The most important aspect of this team was the starting pitching and how well they were going to go out there night in and night out. I think what we have in in, in starting pitching is going to be, as we talked about the Dodgers and where they are with their pitchers, we need to have that type of core group coming out there and making sure that they're taking care of that. That way you can win games and win championships. I like the way that Tanner mentioned with the supplemental pieces, talking about um, Donovan or Newt Bar. Mm -hmm. Like you added that depth now to your position player side of things. I think the same has kind of happened on the pitching side as well. Now, not to the same degree. I feel really good about Donovan and Newt Bar long term and what they're going to be, especially if like Donovan becomes a super utility player or Newt is your fourth outfielder going into next year. But a guy, for example, like a Zach Thompson, I think has now established himself as going into next year. He's going to be a left-handed pitcher out of your bullpen for you. And you feel good about him. And he might be like the third best lefty out of your pen, which is great. He's cheap, cost-controlled, can apparently throw 99 miles an hour. That's an awesome piece to have coming out of your pen. And I think Andre Pallante is one of those guys for me as well, where going into next season, I don't know what he's going to be. He might be a starter. He might be a reliever, might be a bridge guy, might be somewhere in between. He kind of fills all those roles the way that he did this year. So, the reason why I bring that up to answer your question, Carrie, is because when you have those pieces on your bench, you no longer have to go out there and spend $10 million on a fifth starter. You no longer have to go out there and get a Corey Dickerson to be a third outfielder for $5 bucks. You don't have to go out there and get that one piece that you're probably going to cut midway through the year out of your bullpen, but you're going to have to pay him $3 million for you know, 10, 15 appearances just because you're not really sure if you can trust your guys internally. Now you can use that money that you otherwise would have had to spend and you can reallocate it for maybe that big time pitcher that you're talking about where you feel great about him at the front end or to stabilize your catching situation going into the offseason. So I I feel pretty good about where they're at pitching wise. And a lot of that is because of the depth that they have now developed. And I feel good with the pitching as well. And and I'll be honest, I don't I don't find the pitching one as big of a if you want to call it a need as like the complimentary pieces on offense, because offensively it's hard to find those guys a in the free agent market that's going to come in. Cause we've heard most say guys don't want to come in here and be the fourth guy or a bench bat. Mm-hmm. And also there's not as many of those guys available at the trade deadline. There's always pitching available at the deadline. And there's always some really good bargain bin guys that you can get on the free agent market for pitching. So do you need to have the core of those guys? Yeah, you definitely need the core of those guys. But in terms of like those complimentary pieces on the pitching staff, like the number five starter or that six starter, I, I never really worry about that in terms of developing it because if you develop it, oh my gosh, that's great because now you have even more money to go spend elsewhere. 
but I don't worry about it as much because there's so much pitching that's usually available in the offseason, like those bargain deals like Tyler Anderson was a small deal for the Dodgers this year. Uh, and you look at the deadline, the Cardinals have become really good at a set, figuring out, okay, who's a bargain bin pitcher where we don't have to give up really anything. I mean, you look at the deals for Montgomery, yeah, you lost your starting center future. That one stings a little bit in terms of that. But then you look at the Quintana deal. Quintana's been really good for the Cardinals, and what did you give up? You gave up uh, drawing a blank on his name all of a sudden. The right hand, Oviedo. Oviedo. Thank you. O- Oviedo, who you really didn't have a role for here on the organization. Maybe he was going to be a middle innings guy. And then also the other one was, I believe, Malcolm Nunez, and he had no role with the organization moving forward as well. So the pitching one doesn't really worry me a whole lot in terms of finding those complementary pieces. The position one is where it is, and I, the one that I like to worry about, and the, I think the Cardinals have developed that really well over the last couple of years. And to your question on the pitching side of things, like you look at what they could potentially have next year, yeah, Wayno, maybe. We'll see. I think mm-hmm. they'll try to bring him back. Michaelis Flaherty, Hudson, we'll see. Uh, Palante, Montgomery is definitely going to be back. Libertor is on the on the verge. You've got Mats as well as an option when, when he's healthy again. And then you've got Graceffo, McGreevy, and Libertor as the three guys that are going to be coming up from the minor leagues as well at some point next year. That's the most depth that they've had in terms of high-end talent ready to go potentially at the big league level in quite some time. So I I think you're in a solid spot. The position player side of things, you're in a great spot. Right. Pitching, you're in a solid spot, and that's really all I can ask for going into the offseason for the team. Coming up in 15 minutes, I've got a question for you on Brendan Donovan. We'll get to him and what his long-term future looks like at 130, but next, how do we assess college football given what the transfer portal has done to things? It's like 50% of the starting quarterbacks in college football going into this weekend are starting, and they were in the transfer portal last year. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. How are we supposed to assess these college football teams? I don't even know who's where anymore. With Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I think Kerry's got some thoughts on this. We'll let him cook here in just a second. But, (laughs) Kerry, there was a report that came out yesterday from 24-7 Sports on what the transfer portal has done for college football, and specifically at the quarterback position. According to 24-7 Sports, 50% of the starting quarterbacks in the FBS are transfers. 50%. Now, you look at that, you look at the turnover, and I can just point to Mizzou, for example. They've got like six new starters this year that came out of the transfer portal. You look at the coaching turnover as well. I don't know how anybody can reasonably say, like, you look at Alabama, Ohio State. We we know those teams are going to be excellent. But in the middle, like when you get to teams 15 through 60, I don't know how you can reasonably look at what they were last year, what their recruiting rankings were, and then have a real opinion on who they're going to be going into this year. It's just hard to know how these things are going to come together with the transfer portal thrown in. I think one of the hardest things, I mean, first of all, the transfer portal is killing high school recruits. So let's start there. A lot of these coaches want to go and get kids that have had, you know, workouts or understand what it is to be on a college campus, what that regimen is is for them, and and it makes their job easier. But when you're talking about quarterbacks in in, in particular, you know, we all see that that Joe Burrow made the transfer from Ohio State to LSU, and you say, oh, that was a good deal. You see um, Kyler Murray transfer. You see uh, Jalen Hurts transfer. But you don't see all of the guys that transfer and don't get those accolades or don't have that success. And sometimes 
there there's an exception to every rule, and those three guys that I name are the exception. They would have been good no matter where they were. Some of these guys are are not as good as they need to be, which is why they transfer. And then they go different places, and they do not have the same success. Uh, I, I, it's hard to... It's hard to understand the mindset of of college football right now when you don't have to stick it out, you don't have to fight through things. In in football, there is going to be adversity and you have to be able to push through it. And I think a lot of these young men, not all of them, like I said, there are, you know, exceptions to every rule, but a lot of them are transferring with hopes that the place that they go to is going to be much easier or better. At the end of the day, you still got to line up and play football. And and you know, I, I got a friend who coaches uh, high school football, and he had a kid who transferred to multiple FBS schools, offensive linemen. And I told him, I said, hey, man, you need to tell him. This is his last stop. Yep. Because if you can't handle the adversity of this school versus this school versus this school, there's no way you're going to be able to handle blocking Aaron Donald on third and eight. And so you can you can erase those aspirations of playing at the next level because there is a certain amount of grit and toughness and stick to that forces you to continue to go through it and, and push through in order to be successful. As I said, there is an exception to every rule. People will pull out Joe Burrow. They'll pull out those guys. But those guys were exceptions. And normally the rule is you transfer, you're going to have the same amount of success that you had at the place you were before, if not less, because it's a new system, it's a new program, you're in a different place, and it's going to be hard on you and the team that you're going to. And I do think like there is some value to it. I So Tyler Macon, for example, kid from East St. Louis, quarterback there, he's now at Mizzou. He's kind of buried on their depth chart. And I'm not pu- trying to push him out by any stretch of the imagination. If he just wants to go to Mizzou for the next four years, God bless him. And right. I hope he has all the success in the world in doing so. But the reality is it, he's he's not starting over Brady Cook this year. You've got Sam Horn, who just made it to campus. They've got another four-star quarterback coming in next year. It's going to be hard for him to be able to rise yeah. up that depth chart. Do I think that he should be able to have the ability to, if he wants, transfer to Illinois or transfer to Arkansas or wherever? Somebody where he's going to get an opportunity to potentially compete? Absolutely. Yes. I think he should have that right. I do think that we are in a tough situation right now, and I'd be curious your perspective on this as well, Carrie, where it's not just, okay, you can transfer as many times as you want. You're free of charge, basically. You can go wherever you want, whenever you want. You also have the NIL that's thrown into this. So at the top end of things, like forgetting the Tyler Macon side, now it's the the superstars, right? So Luther Burden, for example, if he has a great year this year for, for Mizzou and he wanted to, he could basically, not himself, but somebody that's representing him, go around to all these other colleges and say, what's the dollar figure you've got for, for my guy. And they will tell him, Hey, here's what's potentially available for you guys. If, if he was made available on the transfer portal, right. otherwise known as the open market. And he could then basically auction himself off. This is what happened with the, the pit wide receiver yeah. with USC, right? Addison. He has superstar wide receiver. Now he's at USC. Why? Eh, he wanted a better team, but also the money was right. That's what I don't like. I think there should be a limit on the number of transfers that you get for free without having to sit out a year. And I don't know how they curtail it with the NIL stuff, but man, it has become the wild West right now in college football. I think that's a problem for them as well. It it, it is hard. It's hard for coaches because like they have to continue to coach their own kids and recruit the kids that they have to recruit kids to come to the school and they have to recruit kids to stay at the school. And when you, in certain instances, like you said, a, a, a young man that is third or fourth on the depth chart, if he chooses to leave and go to a different school, you can understand that. Absolutely. A, but at the same time, as long as that young man had the opportunity, it's all on you. As a person, it's on you to make the plays or or 
or suffer the consequences of not playing. And if you got the opportunity to fight for a starting position and somebody beats you out, that's life. That's part of it. And you want to move on, that's part of it as well. But I think for for me as a fan of of a football team, my perception would not be, oh, we got this transfer from another school and now all of a sudden we're going to be great. Because I'm going to look at what he did at the school prior to us. How well did he play? Why did he leave in the first place? What brought him here? And I think sometimes, you know, as as, as a sports fan, you'll look at it and say, eh, I want us to be successful. We got this transfer from here. We got this transfer from here. But why did they transfer? Yep. What brought them here? What forced them to leave? Why would they leave that position, that situation where they were starting or they were having success? Or why weren't they starting or having success and now they're here? I think you have to take all of those things into consideration. And as you said, it is the wild, wild west now. And everybody has, you know, it's good for players, but it's it's probably going to end up harming college football in the long run. So just in the SEC this year, Alabama starting quarterback is is a transfer. Now, this is from last year to this year, so he's been there for a year already, and T.J. Finley. Will Levis was a transfer from Penn State last year to Kentucky. Now he's a legit NFL draft uh, prospect. Spencer Rattler is the starting quarterback at South Carolina this year. He came from Oklahoma, of course. And then uh, Tennessee's starting quarterback, Hooker, was also a transfer from Virginia Tech as well last year again. You go over to the Big Ten, for example, and it's a lot of dudes that came over this year as well. Illinois' new starting quarterback, oh, yeah. he's a transfer. Nebraska's new starting quarterback, transfer from uh, from Texas. It, it's all Big 12 has four new starting quarterbacks this year that are transfers from other schools. It, it's everywhere. And if you're one of those teams, I don't know, like, for example, if I was the the opponent going up against Kansas State this week, I, I don't know what that offense is going to look like. Uh, in Martinez, a totally different quarterback than what they had last year with Skylar Thompson. So I wonder from a coaching perspective how difficult this is going to be for teams, especially like going into that first quarter of what are they going to look like? You just don't know. You don't know how much is going to change year to year, given all of the transfers that they're going to have that are potential starters. They, they are. It, it, they're going everywhere. <laughs> it's hard to keep up. Um, and like I said, I, some of it I can understand. There, there are circumstances where, yeah, it's time to move on. You've done your. You've done what you can do, and and it just is not going to work out there. But then sometimes it's just a, a unwillingness to fight or go through what you need to go through, go through that adversity, struggle because. It's not always going to be easy, and I think I think we are building a generation and, and helping to lead towards a generation of people that say, okay, when it gets hard, I'm going to find an easier route instead of saying this is the path. I just have to continue to go through it. What is your reaction when I tell you that Mizzou has eight um, transfers that are on their two deep? That on would, the defensive side of the ball. My reaction would be there are eight kids in Missouri that didn't get a scholarship <laughs> offer because of that. <laughs> that. That would be my eight. reaction. And, Eight and different transfers. And, and, yeah, and, defense will be better this year. You would hope. It better be. Hopefully. <laughs> it, it damn well better be. With Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll have the rewind in 15 minutes. And in the rewind, we will give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan next Friday at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. But coming up next, Brendan Donovan. Is his trajectory more like Greg Garcia or Matt Carpenter? I know that feels like a wide range, but that feels like the path he's on. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
going to be the next Gray Garcia? Or could he be the next Matt Carpenter? We're talking about that right now here on 101 ESPN alongside Kerry Davis and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. In about 10 minutes, we'll give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke next Friday night at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. I'm curious on this, Kerry, because Brendan Donovan is a really interesting player to me. He kind of came out of nowhere, and then he became this revelation all year long. And quietly, he's riding a 12-game hitting streak. It feels like he went through like one kind of sustained slump in the middle of the season, and then otherwise he's been great from start to finish. He's now batting 295 on the year. He's not slugging at all. He doesn't hit for a whole lot of power. He has just 20 extra base hits on the season in 350 plate appearances, but he's getting on base nearly 40% of the time, which is just an outstanding number. If you look at that compared to all of the rookie seasons since 2000, it's in the top three for the Cardinals in terms of rookie seasons over the last 20 years. You go through that list. Two of the guys that immediately pop off the screen for me when it comes to what the role is right now for Brendan Donovan and what their roles were early in their careers are Greg Garcia and Matt Carpenter. So I'm going to give you a quick comparison on the numbers from their rookie years to what we're seeing right now from Brendan Donovan. Brendan Donovan this year is batting 295. Matt Carpenter also in his rookie season hit 295. Greg Garcia was around 275. On base percentage, Brendan Donovan's right at 400. Matt Carpenter was at 365. Greg Garcia was at 395. So all kind of in that same range. And then when it came to slugging percentage, Donovan's at 380. Matt Carpenter was at 465. So he definitely hit for more power in his rookie year than Donovan has. And Greg Garcia was a little less at 365 in his rookie year. If you were talking about the trajectory of Donovan, which way is he going to head? Do you think he's going to be more of Greg Garcia or more of Matt Carpenter over the course of his career? Because I think that kind of changes what the plans are in the offseason for the Cardinals, depending on which way he's going. If you say Matt Carpenter, you're setting the bar very high. I think because Matt Carpenter was, when he was in his in his deal, when he was in the prime of it and, and really doing what he was doing, he was leading the league in hits. He was a, a all-star multiple times. He was... Um, you know, top ten in MVP voting, like that broke is a the record here for doubles. That is that is a that is a high bar to set for anyone. Um, and I so I I would say, and, and Greg Garcia is not a player that you would say, oh, that's that's a terrible career mm-hmm. or that's a terrible uh, bar to be at or, or a level to be at. But I think the Matt Carpenter bar is just too high for what he has done for 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 uh, Donovan right now. I think. Um, I think it's just too high right now for him to for us to say that that's where we see him progressing to, because I it, it's it's a lot. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> and, a Cardinals Carpenter, Hall of Famer in my opinion. There you go, and and Carpenter did a, did a great job. So for me, I would say more closer to Greg Garcia, which again is not a not a terrible career if you can sustain that over a seven to eight year run, take hold of that position and not let it go, play sound defense up the middle, and not give up, you know. And not and not give up at bats when you're when it's your time. I would say more Greg Garcia right now than than Matt Carpenter. Yeah, that's where I lean to is I, I lean he's probably going to be more the Greg Garcia. I I just don't see him having the slugging coming along that Matt Carpenter had, and I, I truly think that's really the only difference because his average. I think he is probably about a two eighty to three hundred hitter. Looking at him, and he's got a good batter's eye, which reminds me a little bit of Carpenter with that batter's eye. Garcia had a very good batter's eye as well, where he would work the count on pitchers. Feels comfortable with two strikes and his on base. Is it going to be around four hundred? 
Maybe not, but I think it'll be a little be around that 360, 370 range, like what Garcia was doing for him. I mean, you mentioned his numbers in his rookie year. His on base was 330, or excuse me, 393, 365 the following year in 2017. That's probably more of what I think his on base is going to be next year, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think Brendan Donovan's the perfect Swiss Army knife that you can put in any position that you want. And if that's the case, I mean, that's more valuable than what Greg Garcia was. And that's not a shot against Greg Garcia, but Garcia was just a shortstop, second baseman, and he could play a little bit of third base, but not a whole lot. Donovan can play every position, and if he has a career like Greg Garcia did, I think that's a success for the St. Louis Cardinals. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, he's not going to be Greg Garcia. He's not going to be Matt Carpenter. He's going to be Brendan Donovan. Why does St. Louis sports media love doing this? Now, of course, <laughs> that's true. Like He's he's going to have a different career than either of None those two players. None of those guys players. had the flow like Donovan. If I had to guess, I think Brendan Donovan's going to be somewhere in between. Yeah. Like, that's the, the likely outcome here, is he doesn't ever get the slugging percentage that Matt Carpenter had. He never ends up having like the the short career that Greg Garcia had that fell off after a couple of seasons. I think he's going to be somewhere in the middle. He's going to be a pretty darn good player for the next three to five years, and then we'll figure it out from there. But he's not going to be a Cardinals Hall of Famer, and he's not going to be gone uh, because he hit like 220 in his final se- his third season with the Cardinals uh, as Greg Garcia did. Somewhere in the middle is probably the most likely outcome. The reason why I find the question to be interesting is because. If you think he's going to be more of the carpenter, but not with the slugging percentage, like let's set the slugging aside for a second, but he's going to be like a 260 hitter that gets on base 36% of the time and can play anywhere on the field. Well, that tells me that he's going to be a towards the top of the lineup type of producer for the Cardinals over the next few years. I can have that guy batting first or second in my lineup, and I feel good about it because I right now have Goldie and Arenado batting behind him. If he's going to be more of the great Garcia, though, where it falls off quickly and he's he's not exactly what he was in his rookie career, rookie season, he's probably never going to be that again. Then I need to find somebody else that's going to bat towards the top of my order next year against right handed pitching. Maybe that guy's already on your roster. Maybe you go out to the market to find that in the offseason. That's why I, I think the Cardinals are probably doing some of this internally, whether it be now or by the end of the season. Would you I'm going I'm to take it in a different direction. Sure. Colton Wong. If you were to add him into that, do you see him more? Where would you see him fitting in that in that regard? It's in comparison to Garcia, Colton, or Matt Carpenter. It's Which interesting. One, is he, He's not is the he, defender, but if we're just talking specifically about what he did offensively, better than Colton. But 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 when you think about the entire player, you got to add the defense in as yeah. well because Colton was, in my opinion, elite up the middle. May got the balls that. Most people would not be able to get Colton's to. Colton's not a bad comparison. Honestly, that, that I, I think defensively, Colton was definitely better. better. The versatility yeah. is different with Donovan because you can play him second, short, third if you need to in the outfield. He can play all over the place. Um, but Colton, while he did have a couple of years where the power was a little higher, yeah. he never really had that crazy slugging output that that we saw from um, Matt Carpenter. And he did have a decent on-base percentage by about midway through his career here in St. Louis. I would say if you look at the second half of his career in St. Louis, that's kind of what I'm expecting out of Brendan Donovan, where he right. was a 270 hitter, got on got on base about 35, 36% of the time, and slugged about 400. That sounds about right to me. Yeah, yeah the I, second half of Colton Wong's career here in St. Louis. Minus the, the defensive portion, yeah. because Colton was, much, was better at that portion than, than Donovan is right now. But I think Kim Bean what would you call him, average, maybe slightly above average at multiple positions. I think that equals out to what you got in Colton Wong because there's not many guys that can do 
what Brendan Donovan's doing. And you look at a lot of good teams in the National League, they have somebody that did that. Like, look at Chris Taylor. Uh, not so much this year because Taylor struggled, but Chris Taylor was a guy that uh, the Dodgers were moving around all over the place. He'd start a second, he could go play in the outfield. That's kind of what Brendan Donovan has been. So, yeah, I think if he becomes the second half of Colton Wong, and I think that probably is a fair comparison for it. And he prov- I know he's not as good defensively as you mentioned, but he can play multiple positions, kind of what Ben Zobris would do as well. I think that's a success for the Cardinals. And I, I don't think you have to look to replace him on the market in terms of looking for a leadoff hitter near the top of the order. Think about how long the Cardinals have been looking for this kind of player. Like, it, whether it be they they tried to find it with... A, it's different because of the power was what they were looking for with him. But you look back to the Brad Miller signing. You look to so many of the left-handed bats that they've signed. And there's just, like, dozens of them over the last five to seven years where they're like, can this guy be somebody that can hit at or near the top of our lineup, that gets on base, that can give us uh, an opportunity to play all over the diamond? They've been trying to find so many of these different pieces. And finally, they seem to have found one in Brendan Donovan. And he was just like thrown into their right. lap at the beginning of the year where we were all talking about Juan Yepes. And uh, we had the opportunity to talk early on in the season. And then we kind of realized that they're probably not going to call him up with Alec Burleson. Um, you had like all of these different pitchers that were available to them. And then Brendan Donovan became like the story of spring training. I was like, this guy can really play. And Lisa sends this text in. Guys from the 618, he has something you also can't quantify. He's got that X factor where he comes up big in the biggest possible moments. He has hustle that you can't quantify either. No number can be associated with what he brings to the Cardinals. There's, there's some truth to that. Like You look back at some of the guys that are most appreciated here in St. Louis and like the Descalso's, the Skip mm-hmm. Schumacher's, the David Eckstein's. Yep. You look at the baseball reference page, it's not all that impressive. But then you remember watching them. It was like, man, when the big moments big came moments, up yeah. and they were at the plate, you felt pretty good about them being able to come through. And there's something to that. And I do think Brendan Donovan has that skill where whatever that is, he's got it. That it factor, if you will. Do you know what his numbers are with runners in scoring position? I just looked this up because Lisa said that. I didn't really come to mind when I, I thought isn't that. Isn't he getting like 390 in those spots? Yeah, he's got 61 at bat, 79 plate appearance, 361 batting average. He has an OPS above a thousand. Holy cow! Yeah, <laughs> that, that'll play. That's amazing, and, and I think some of that might be because he's got Goldie and Arenado right. coming up behind him, and people know they have to throw him strikes. And he's a guy that has a great batter's eye. And those are the pitches that he can do damage with. So it makes sense that he's he's doing that kind of damage with them. Coming up next with the BK and Ferrario Rewind and give you your chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan next Friday night here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. from today's show. Kerry told you how he hates your team. I told you how Mizzou is going to win seven games. And we talked to Gabe DeArmond as well. All of that available for you on the podcast page. 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. BK, I kid because I care. You know, oh, we, that, we, that's what it is. <laughs> I, I, I kid because I care. Also, I care about Mizzou football. I want them to be as successful as they possibly can be. I, I can't say that. I, I want to see one zero. Just game. do not believe that they're going to have an easy road ahead of them. 
nor do I believe that our Illini will have an easy road ahead of them either. And I guess I say that to say this, that misery loves company. Yeah, so come fair. on. All right. I can respect <laughs> that. At least you're honest. Uh, by the way, coming up in about five minutes or so, we're going to give you a chance to win a pair of tickets to see Luke Bryan Friday, September 9th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. However, we finished the show uh, the way that we began the show earlier today, and that's by discussing Jake Woodford and Dakota Hudson from last night. Now, I thought Jake Woodford was was objectively just the better pitcher. He looked better against the same lineup that Dakota Hudson faced. And, Carrie, there's going to be a lot of discussion. I'm sure the afternoon show will be talking about this as well, about what do you do now? Tonight, it's going to be Jack Flaherty's final rehab start. The expectation is he's going to be added into the rotation starting next week. Does that mean that Dakota Hudson is out of the rotation? Does that mean that you go to a six-man? If you go to a six-man, do you go with Woodford instead of Hudson? My answer to all of that is this. I, I would not go to a six-man rotation. I would just stick with the five, and you replace Dakota Hudson with Jack Flaherty. If you do go to a six-man rotation, though, not based on last night's performance, but based on what we've seen all season long, I would go with Jake Woodford over Dakota Hudson. Last night, I thought Hudson was mostly fine. I didn't think it was super impressive, but he got beat by some uh, seeing-eye singles. He, they beat the shift a couple of times. He threw strikes. He worked with a better pace. I saw what I needed to see out of him. It still wasn't good enough. So I'd like to see him go to the bullpen. If you're going to go to the six-man rotation, do it with Jake Woodford. But my guess is they'll go with the five-man, and then they'll have a couple of spot starts down the stretch. Yeah, I think Flaherty will be ready here shortly. And Dakota, you know, He's given his all, but sometimes your all just isn't good enough at this level, and it's not its not happening. It, 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 we talked about it earlier. You said two quality starts in the last 13 starts mm-hmm. that he's had. That puts so much, so much strain on your bullpen that you cannot continue to trot him out there if he's not going to give you six. You give us four and a third. You give us three and two thirds. You, you, you're, you're putting so much pressure on the guys behind you that, that we're all working together. We'll follow you. We'll help you. But you're putting a lot of pressure on them to be – to clean up your mess at times. So for me, if the six-man rotation, I, I don't know, we talked about Wayne Wright not being a, a big fan of that. You know, pitchers and, and people, athletes, generally like to stay on schedule and throwing that off even by a day or, you know, a few hours can can really upset some people. So I think if, if Flaherty is ready to go, if he's healthy, if he's, the, you know, injury-free, if he comes out, does what we have seen him do in his career – I like what I like where they are and what, what position they're in right now. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. Flaherty coming back, being healthy. I like the position they're in. And if you have to, if you do go with the six man rotation, I'm with BK. I, I would much rather see Jake Woodford get that start than Dakota Hudson. Then what do you do with Dakota Hudson? Do you try him in the bullpen, see if he becomes a ground ball guy out of the bullpen, see if he can get right-handers out, but their numbers have gone up against him in the last handful of starts? Or do you send him down to Memphis and work on pacing with the pitch clock that's down there to work on that? But I, I would still stick with the five-man rotation and then do the spot starts when you need them, especially when you go into, of course, with Cincinnati in the doubleheader. And if you want to give some guys, maybe they're trying to get some endings off of Miles Michaels and his workload, Adam Wainwright and his workload before heading into the playoffs. But if you do go to the six-man rotation, in my opinion, look, it, it wasn't so much about last night's start. It's the number that Kerry referenced. The two quality starts in his last 13, that's enough right there. And seeing Woodford make the improvements that they told him to go work on in Memphis, refine his slider, and I saw it last night, and he had some swing and miss stuff then I recommend that they go with him over to Carson. <laughs> Tanner couldn't keep it in character. Uh, Kerry Davis is over here swinging around in a chair. He got a rusty nail somewhere in there. Um, I, I think that what I'm interested in moving forward, like I think we're all on the same page. Jack Flaherty is going to be in the rotation. 
Dakota Hudson's not. And then they'll figure out the roles from there. And I think that's the biggest thing for me down the stretch. This final month of the season, what I really want to see is how these bullpen roles get configured. Because I like what your rotation looks like right now. We talked about it earlier with the Cardinals lineup versus the Dodgers. I, I couldn't believe it when I saw the numbers, but they line up one for one incredibly well against even the Dodgers lineup, which is as good as you're going to come by. So any team in baseball, you put them up head to head with the Cardinals offensively right now, you got a real shot to be able to match them or potentially even exceed them head to head. The bullpens where I think it gets interesting. And right now I feel great about Ryan Helsley. I feel good about Giovanni Gallegos. I, if you go into a sixth or seventh inning spot and you need to get right handers out, that's where they need to figure out who their other guys are that they can trust right now. Because I, I don't know the answer to that yet. And I wonder if maybe a Jake Woodford or Dakota Hudson could fit into that mix. What about Palante? I mean, he started he started some games. Um, His issue is the splits. He's really good against lefties. It's weird. He's a right-handed pitcher, and you'd think he'd get righties out very well. But the righties have gotten him pretty tough this year. Got you. I, I was just thinking if you, if you weren't going to go to the six-man rotation and just have a, a spot starter come in and kind of – Fill a void and, and help yeah. out, kind of get the rotation on the, the track that you wanted to be on going into the playoffs. Maybe that's an opportunity as well. Yeah, I, I, potentially. I, I think the guy, when you look at that bullpen, who they're going to try, I think we talked about this a little bit yesterday, is I think it comes down to three guys that you're looking at for against right-handed pitchers now. Because I, I, I'm not sure Hudson or Woodford will be that guy. Maybe it will be. be I just, When I see those guys on paper and just hear the name, I don't think of them as bullpen arms. I'm bringing in a playoff game in like the sixth inning against right-handed hitters. I think it comes down to, I think Palante still has a chance to become that guy. I know his splits are very heavy against right-handers, but if you see something in the final month, ride that hot hand, or it could be JoJo Romero. Can he get right-handers out? He's looked very effective out of the bullpen. I think Zach Thompson's going to get a shot, and then I think Jordan Hicks are the other one, is the other one. Now's your chance. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you are texter number 101, and you can tell us what my dad went by in college. What was the <laughs> name that my dad went by briefly in college? If you can send that into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780, you are going to win a chance... Or you're going to win a pair of free tickets to see Luke Bryan next Friday night, September 9th at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater. Tickets are on sale now. You can text that in again at 65780. That is your chance to win the free pair of tickets. We will have another couple of chances the rest of this week on BK and Ferrario as well. You can also sign up to potentially win another pair of tickets at 101ESPN.com and on the free 101ESPN app. Carrie, this has been excellent. We'll do this again one more time tomorrow, and then we've got Brooke Grimsley in with us on Friday for Carrie Davis. And Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Talk to you guys tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world class instructors, we're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home-trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.